Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jay Sticky. And let's just get right into the less wrong posts. May as well. Okay. First post this week is Artificial Edition. Both of these, uh, the Artificial Edition and Truly Part of You that we're talking about, I think was the first time I heard of the Sheep Counter. Oh, okay. Concept. He wrote a short fic about it. Was yeah, this before it might have. I think it was before. I don't know. Um, I think I saw the fic first, actually. The idea of the sheep counter <laughs> was one of the things from Less Wrong that really stuck with me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, these are the sequences that talk about it. He starts with saying, Imagine that human beings had evolved rather than having learned the ability to count sheep and add sheep. People using this built-in ability have no idea how it worked, the way Aristotle had no idea how his visual cortex supported his ability to see things. Which, first of all, is kind of a weird thing to try to imagine, but... Like, I, I just took it as like, okay, imagine this impossible thing and move on. Okay. Some um, people can do math in their head. <laughs> I know, I mean, I can do some simple math in my head, but it's it's different than like... But I know yeah, what I'm I doing. I, if, if I glance at that shelf over there, I have no idea how many books are on that shelf. There's someone in the world that could glance at that out of the corner of their eye and count the number of books, but like those are rare. But A, I can't imagine that. And B, when I do do addition, I know what I'm doing. Like it's not, it doesn't just come to me. Right. 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 Um, like the same way that visual input does for my eyes. Yeah. What's fun about these two posts is that like, you know, the whole sequence's endeavor was like, let's get people thinking about AI and this whole project. This is like, it's, I would say thinly veiled analogy, but it's an explicit analogy. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, look, here's how people are like, all right, I'm taking off like the dancing around it gloves. We're going to just look at the thing. This is how people think about thinking. Right. I'm drawing a direct analogy. Yeah. And you guys, you know, here's where the failure is happening, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So he says, in this world, because we're going with the direct AI analogy, pocket calculators work by storing a giant lookup table of arithmetical, arithmetical, arithmetical. Arithmetical facts? I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Arithmetical sounds right. Entered manually by a team of expert artificial arithmeticians (laughs) for starting values that range between 0 and 100. While these calculators may be helpful in a pragmatic sense, many philosophers argue that they're only simulating addition rather than really adding. (laughs) That's where I start laughing. (laughs) Right. Because now you know where the post is going. Yes. But that that would be right, right? That they're only simulating addition. Like if someone said, "What is three plus four? It would look up its lookup table. Well, I started laughing because it's obviously like an article that's flipped at this point. Like, oh, what if you know math was something? Yeah, that like humans just did naturally, and then we were trying to make calculate. Like, because we live in a world where we don't, and where it's super easy to make computers run on math and calculate math. So. It is just the whole idea of, well, if, you know, GPT-3 is coherent, it's only, like, simulating being able to have a coherent thought. Yeah. And to me, that just sort of, like, already sort of showed some hypocrisy about the way we think about these things. Mm-hmm. Because what's the difference between, like, simulating being sentient and being sentient? I think this post <laughs> the next one gets into that. Yeah. Uh, he in this world, no one has ever developed an artificial general arithmetician. <laughs> an although, AGA. Yes. <laughs> although there are, of course, plenty of domain-specific narrow artificial arithmeticians that work on numbers between twenty and thirty, and so on. And if you look at how slow progress has been on numbers in the range of two hundred, then it becomes clear that we're not going to get artificial general arithmetic anytime soon. <laughs> the artificial arithmetic devices functioned as a tape recorder playing back knowledge generated from outside the system using a process they couldn't capture internally 
A human could tell the AA device that 21 plus 16 equals 37, and the AA devices could record the sentence and play it back, or even pattern, or even pattern match 21 plus 16 to output 37. But they couldn't generate such knowledge for themselves. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it goes on in that vein, talking about basically like flipping a bunch of scripts about the way people talk about artificial intelligence yeah a lot of quotes about along the lines of this this isn't truly artificial intelligence if you swap out the 13 for the 14 it's completely confused you'd have to simulate the whole human brain in order to get it to really do math yeah we won't have a neuron real, by neuron yeah we won't have a real artificial general uh, addition thing until we can uh, upload a human brain and then have it do the addition for us it's emergent <laughs> we have to build it from the bottom up yeah we have to evolve a computer we have to get one that can scan the entire internet for all the different things people say about <laughs> math facts. Yeah. And uh, my favorite example was haven't you heard of John Searle's uh, oh, yeah. Chinese calculator experiment? <laughs> Even if you had a huge set of rules that would let you add 21 and 16, just imagine translating all the words into Chinese and you can see that there's no genuine addition going on. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Eliezer said that this shows the danger of dancing around confusing gaps in your knowledge. When you say it's emergent, or when you say it's unknowable, in neither case are you acknowledging that there is a basic insight required which is possessable, but unpossessed by you. And referencing those comments we were just talking about, none are aimed at setting out on a quest for the missing insight which would make numbers no longer mysterious, to make 27 more than a black box. None of the commenters realized that the difficulties arose from ignorance or confusion of their own minds rather than inherent properties of arithmetic. I liked the the example of, you know, you won't know the artificial arithmetic problem is unsolvable without its key. Like shooting blindfolded at a distant target, you can fire blind shot after blind shot crying, you can't prove to me that I won't hit the center. <laughs> but until you take off the blindfold, you're not even in the aiming game. You don't have enough information to strike at a small target in the vast, in a vast answer space. Until you know it won't, until you know your ideal will work, it won't. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a, that, that'd make a good t-shirt. I mean, there's, some I, I get the I get the the point he's making and the the moral he's drawing from that, but like someone could argue it's like, look, you can have a half baked plan that works out, right? Yeah. But that's not, I think, an actual counter argument. That's like saying, no, you just it's it just being worked. not in the yeah. aiming game. Like you just maybe you can get lucky, but yeah, the 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 half of your plan you didn't have planned out just happened to work in your favor, right? Maybe you have to take a lot of blind shots before you start to realize that there's a blindfold that's the real problem. That's not that's that'd make another good uh t shirt or at least comment on, you know adds to the analogy well. It really does. Um you know, no one you know, torturing that analogy is like aware that they're doing that, right? Mm-hmm. But eventually they'll th- yeah, you take enough shots and you're like, Okay, I'm I'm missing something, right? <laughs> right. Why am I not hitting this? <laughs> yeah. yeah, when the when the basic problem is your ignorance, clever strategies for bypassing your ignorance lead to shooting yourself in the foot. <laughs> Perhaps literally. The sequences are so quotable. Uh, I'm surprised they don't have like a cafe press, like so I could get that on a mug. I mean, <laughs> you can be the change you want to see in the world. That's I've, I don't have ownership of the sequences. I think they're online for I guess public consumption. I mean, I could make my own mug. I wouldn't want to like make an Etsy shop or or cafe press or does cafe press even still exist? I'm not sure, but oh yeah, I meant like you order a mug and you put this like an or- right, order a yeah. custom mug and put this on there. I think selling these, you might be in you know that murky be, territory. Yeah. I bet if we did it on the Bayesian conspiracy uh, merch shop and then just kick back ten, fifteen percent to Eliezer for anything we sold, he'd be cool with it. Probably. Hmm. I'm gonna yeah. do it. 
Go for it. <laughs> I think I think we sold five things <laughs> right. from, from our current thing. We might sell an additional three if we did it this way, and Eliezer could enjoy the entire nickel that he gets from, <laughs> from the the fifteen percent of the small fraction that we get out of it. Yeah, but then it would be available to people. I really like the map graphic design um, that they had on you know the printed books, and that's now on the Less Wrong website. I'd I'd really like to have a mug that has that on it, actually. Anyway. Alrighty. So that was... Um, that was a ar- sequence. <laughs> yes, artificial edition. Uh, the second For, one... I, I don't know if we want to spend another minute doing this. You can just say, yeah, no, let's move on. I was thinking about that last line when I was reading it yesterday. Uh when the basic problem is your ignorance, clever strategies for bypassing your ignorance lead to shooting yourself in the foot. Mm-hmm. I feel like you can have clever strategies to circ- to circumvent your own lo- gaps of knowledge, mm-hmm. depending on how like small of a scope your problem is. Did he right? say can or can't? I think you can. Um, um, like you can bypass your ignorance, and it's you can do so like, successfully, like reliably, with good techniques. But maybe like not on important big problems. Yeah, like, like I yeah, guess I mean, it depends on whether what your goal is. If there's a problem in your way and you're, I don't know, like, if you're just trying to figure out how to forge a really good sword and you don't understand the chemistry, but you know that, like, if I use these rules, then it will be brittle versus if I use these ones, it'll be strong, then you can just sort of pass that knowledge down. But if you're just trying to make, like, a good enough sword, (laughs) maybe it's the best sword in your village, then you just do that. If you want to make the best sword that you could with materials nearby, you'd have to learn chemistry. Yeah, I think, I mean, since we had the Roots of Progress episode just a few a few weeks ago which was fucking great i think it's that's kind of a great analogy we're like before knowledge of modern chemistry uh there wasn't and metallurgy they weren't even in the aiming game they were just taking wild shots and every now and then one would get them a better sword and they're like oh okay gonna keep doing this and pass on that knowledge to a select few within their cabal because you don't want competitors to learn this but uh maybe i should have like bow and arrow or something if we're gonna keep using the aiming metaphor (laughs) yeah but you know just (laughs) randomly stumbling into things and then keeping those and just doing a lot of crazy experimentation is very different from like actually aiming at the thing you want because you know how it works and how the parts interact i wonder if we can i'll introduce another analogy and see if this is uh, pile them on more analogies we well love so them. i watch a lot of uh i watch all of the great british baking show mm. and it's su- <laughs> it would be surprising except it's not the number of people that are like engineers or chemical engineers that are on the show mm-hmm. um because That's, it turns out when cooking you're cooking is simple chemistry it mm-hmm. is but then you get a lot of people who are just you know hobby cooks who are also really really good but don't know the first thing about the chemistry of what they're doing right mm-hmm. um and so they're 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 getting really far and really good through a, I guess they, they, well, they have, I guess they, maybe it's two different ways of hitting the target. You know, one is about knowing the chemistry and one's about trial and error and just like having the ability to infer from like the, the last 10 times that it's something kind of like this, it worked out like this. So it'll work this time doing this new thing. There's also lots of knowledge about cooking. I was going to say you've got so hundreds you could, of generations yeah, of trial and error. Just yeah. be standing on the shoulders of giant cake bakers or whatever. Yeah. But I guess I just ma- started laughing when you said the Great British Baking Show because I've just been like rewatching Bob's Burgers and there was one where they were watching that and the the like littlest kid Louise is like, "Huh, I can't believe that's how they picked the prime minister." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, I think in that case there are different ways to hit the target, right? And one is through being a good cook. One is through understanding the nature of what it is that you're actually doing, mm-hmm. like at the chemical level. Mm-hmm. And both could get you there, right? The first one seems a lot like evolution, just random trial and error. And 
As we all know, evolution is very slow and doesn't always get you the results you want. It doesn't have to be random trial and error, though. You can kind of know what you're aiming for. Yeah. That's what I was going to say, yeah. is that, yeah, you're, you know, I don't enhance my cake recipe by just, like, grabbing any random thing from the kitchen and throwing it into the into the batter, right? I'll be like, no, let's add a little more vanilla, a little less this. Like, things that I know should be in a cake. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> at least that, that narrows down the, the space considerably. Well, then in that case, you're never going to invent the jalapeno cake. Yeah. Or like you have Thank a, goodness for that. But your no. grandmother's cake recipe and you just tweak it a little bit each time and or like you realize there's some happy accident and then you just reproduce that. I mean that is like a lot of how you got grandma's cake recipe was that recipes would be passed down through families. Yeah. And so there was generations of people tinkering with and perfecting different recipes. I don't um, think you would have gotten shepherd's pie if you didn't get the, you know, well, this is what we have left over at the end of the season. Let's all mush it together. That's creativity. <laughs> Thinking outside the box. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, creativity also is part of it. Just like that, that creativity is the ability to be able to think of like, it's interesting because it's like, they're both part of the innovative process, but it's almost the inverse of the thing of just knowing all of the facts about the thing versus having it like having a brain that can think outside of that formula where most people can't. I think anyway. I heard creativity defined once as like something that is high in your preference order, but low in your search order. <laughs> like you wouldn't have thought to look there, but you, but it's the kind of thing that you would have wanted to find, right? Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that sounds like a original Yudkowskiism, or at least one that I heard from him somewhere. But that stuck with me. Anyway, thanks for indulging me on the cooking thing. I don't want to keep us on this this particular post too long, but yeah. that's what I was thinking of because they just the reason I brought this up is because I've. I haven't seen the last episode yet, so I don't know who is actually going to be the the winner of the season. Mm-hmm. But when they were getting when in semifinals, they sent home the guy who like started off, you know, at ninety five out of a hundred, mm-hmm. and maybe got to like ninety six out of a hundred over the last seven weeks. Mm-hmm. Whereas other people started at like sixty and they got to like ninety five, right? So it's a much bigger jump, but it's almost dis- it almost disadvantages this guy for being so kick ass the whole time mm-hmm. that he just he just had less room to grow. Oh, so do but they he do was they like, rate you based on how much you grow in a season? They don't ex- they don't uh, divulge their criteria. You do hmm. learn best um, from mistakes. But yeah, so there's there's some of that. They like to see people you know who who get better at things that they used to not be good at or something. Okay. But I feel like if you're perfect at everything, that shouldn't be a punishment. Right. But they don't they don't have like an express criteria. That said, you also don't like win it. You win like a plate that says you won the Great British Baking Show. If it was like <laughs> a million dollars, the then I'd want to know what what are the, what by what criteria are you judging me that I didn't earn the million? Yeah. But it's just for fun, you know. So I can dig it. Okay. Anyway, the guy that went home was an engineer. Who like you know, it's he's great. Watch, watch, watch this show, everybody. It's wholesome and fun. I was just thinking about before we end that, because um, we were just talking about mother of learning, and I think that that's a really good example to that whole series about. Uh, for people that don't know it, it's a rat fic where there's a, a fantasy world where there's a kid who's in a time loop, and then there's some problems he has to solve by looping the same month over and over again and learning magic, um, and that like really demonstrates that in order to become a master you need both the book learning and the real world experience Hmm. the the, like you know trying stuff in real life making mistakes learning from them uh learning from other people that have been there uh i do think there's some things that you just you can't i don't know how that would translate to ai yeah because well because also like if you want to create a nuclear reactor there's there's no amount of random experimentation over generations of people that will get you. You might discover like radioactivity and be able to very curious. Yeah, uh, and subsequently death out. by radioactivity yeah. or radio radi- radi- radiation poisoning. Yeah, 
but actually creating a, a nuclear reactor, I think, requires a level of knowledge of the gears that you would have to take off the blindfold to get. But you need a Marie Curie to dive radiation poisoning yeah, by tinkering to... around and figuring out what radioactivity is. Yeah. So I think, yeah, like, you still needed both there. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking, like, I don't know what that would look like in AI, and it's kind of terrifying if you think about what it would look like. I mean, like, people... Um... Maybe the GPT-3s are like the Marie Curies. Yeah, like, even... Yeah, GPT is, like, being watched by a lot of people, too, but I just... I'm thinking of the even, like weirder AIs that grad students are making and just I get a bunch of Japanese ones for art mm-hmm. like there's so many people making AIs to make anime waifus mm. are there actually more than one? <laughs> oh my god there's so many okay I figured once you had this this waifu does not exist how many more do you really need all of them but <laughs> okay yeah just I mean yeah I guess we're gonna you know have a bunch of grad students tinkering with AIs up until one of them becomes sentient if one hasn't already <laughs> And that's that's a little terrifying. But I for one welcome our anime waifu overlords. <laughs> Just for the for the record. Yes. There are worse ways to go. <laughs> Never thought I'd end this way. But I always kinda hoped. Alright. Truly part of you is our next episode. Not episode. Is our next sequence. less wrong post. Yes, sequence post. <laughs> uh it starts out with suppose a physicist tells you that light is waves and you believe the physicist. Also, I'm skipping a little bit, suppose that instead the physicist told you light is made of tiny, curvy things. <laughs> Would you notice any difference of anticipated experience? How can you realize that you shouldn't trust your seeming knowledge that light is waves? One test you could apply is asking, could I regenerate this knowledge if it were somehow deleted from my mind? Notice that uh, when I hear a physicist tells you light is waves, I've had this, I don't know, idea in my head, like heard it so many times, had it like explained uh, by what it's interacting with the my mental image is of a wave a sine wave and uh like i maybe it's colored yellow and there's a bunch of little ones making and uh but then when i saw lights made of little curvy things i realized that like my brain generates an image of like a a slinky like a spiral Hmm. so already uh i mean i only know that it's sine waves and I'm, i'm like picturing one mentally because that was probably like a illustration i saw in a textbook or like a 3d model in a youtube video that's not representative of what light is either but i know that one's more correct than the other (laughs) so light isn't a slinky (laughs) but yeah that kind of helped me generate um what maybe it would be like to be someone that's just heard light as waves for the first time and you don't know what that means yet and how you can have a sort of right idea or mental model but (laughs) totally wrong in a way that might matter if you were doing i don't know double slit experiments or something the way that i one of the ways that i kind of approach this because this is the example brought up a lot through the sequences is light being waves whatever that means it's a particle and a wave (laughs) right so like the the, of course yeah i mean so for me like i couldn't recreate that knowledge i wouldn't even know what it would mean to get started looking at that project and so i i kind of put basically almost all of the things I quote unquote know into the category of like trivia. Okay. Like if this was on Jeopardy, mm-hmm. you know, you could light is made of, of what are waves, right? Teacher questions. Right. But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fine with that for that being most of my knowledge. Like, cause you're never going to use the knowledge about light, maybe being waves or whatever in your life. 
Yeah, like for some reason I have in my head that the Battle of Hastings was in 1066, <laughs> right? I don't know who fought in that war. It was the French and the English. The, well, I think so the you know more than I do. But the thing is, how could well, I possibly go about definitions of how could English I how could I possibly go about verifying that for myself, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I, I I I couldn't to find some source documents. I guess I could find source documents, but does that count as someone else putting it in my head again? Like that sounds like just finding a physics book that tells me you know light is waves. Well, again. you have to put stuff in your head by interacting with the real world. So I think like, but that world's gone. It's a thousand years ago. Right, I feel so many historians cringing right now that I use the terms English and French. <laughs> well, in in any case, it's it's one of those things that like it, I, I they can cringe more because I'm saying like you know that's that doesn't that's not the same kind of knowledge that Elias is putting in this special privileged box of like things that you can understand and discover on your own, right? Mm, I think it is uh... because if you were like he says, if you were to erase the knowledge of the Battle of Hastings from your brain completely, could you recreate it on your like, own? Theoretically, you could, but. Only if you were looking for it, which right. I think is, that's why, like, when Stephen, you said most of my knowledge is this kind of, like, trivia, um, and I think that's, it's fine to be comfortable with that if you live in a society that has historians and, like, the field of science and the scientific method, because, like... the internet so you can look up the trivia that you need when you need it. Like, that's why, if a physicist, if I didn't know anything about physics and uh i heard like light is waves i would know whether to trust that that's true or not you would know well like if it was a physicist who i knew was an actual researcher who was familiar with the scientific method then yeah, but like, you wouldn't know whether to trust the knowledge you would know whether to trust the person yeah I, I would trust the source yeah yeah is what i'm saying like where if you imagine like being a hunter-gatherer tribe and someone says oh um rain is caused when the gods are crying mm-hmm. you would be like I have no idea whether that's true or, like, you can't verify any of your knowledge or very little of it. Like, if someone told you you make fire by hitting flint together. I remember in high school. Then you could test that, but you can't test whether the gods are crying. Yeah. In high school, in AP Physics, uh, our physics teacher walked us through rederiving that E equals MC squared. And it took basically an entire semester. But when we got there at the end and I was writing down the equation, I was like... (laughs) It was like two steps before the last line. I was like, oh, holy shit. I know where this is going. We just proved it. Oh, my God. This is awesome. I feel like I did the same thing just as a nerd, like, looking shit up in uh, what became... <laughs> I was like, Wikipedia. No, encyclopedias. Mm. The the book ones. <laughs> what Wikipedia used to be. <laughs> and then, yeah, I remember that same moment of, like... Like, Einstein must have been, like fucking running through the streets naked <laughs> like you know yeah. but he figured that out because yeah i remember like being really obsessed with that equation and writing it on like remember when you used to have like cover books in school mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> with like brown paper bags yeah but like could i rederive it now i mean i couldn't if, if i didn't have the foreknowledge you know of giants yeah if, if i knew there was the an way. equation like that I suppose I could start doing a lot of experiments and trying to trying to find it again. Uh, and it would probably take me more than one semester if I wasn't being guided. But eventually, I think so, because it falls out of the equations and the observations if you, you know, give it enough time and make enough of them. But I think with Stephen and the Battle of Hastings and you with E equals MC squared, like... You could regenerate that knowledge, but only if Stephen was a historian that was like specifically, right. you know, that's what you were dedicating yourself narrowing to. the domain there. And if you were you know, basically Einstein, like <laughs> if it were just me, I would never figure out either of those things. Well, the fact that knowing principles. that it's no, yeah, the fact that knowing that it's possible is a big deal. 
Like if you also erased from my mind and the built and like erased from society the knowledge that this is out there to find, that would take an Einstein level of intellect to figure out. But if someone just like erases the actual the the equation, but there's still the idea that I think energy and matter are related in some way that can be quantified. And you're curious enough to do a bunch of experiments and yeah. learn lots of math. <laughs> then it's a lot easier. Just knowing that it's possible is a huge first step. Yeah. I think you guys make good points. And I was thinking about what I said about history not falling into like the domain of, of uh, achievable knowledge, like in this special category. And I, I realized I think I was wrong there because you can't like conduct an experiment the same way you can, I don't know, with this isn't EMC equals mc squared but you know whatever light bending around an eclipse or something right Mm -hmm. but you can say well i anticipate i will find something like this in this field if i go dig right and that is an actual experiment like if you found ruins on a different planet somewhere you would have the idea that you could figure out where they came from how they got here whereas if you're a medieval peasant you've been scratching at the dirt your whole life and you see the you know ruins of the aqueducts you're like i don't know man giants before were able to move stones like that who who fucking knows yeah you you don't even have the idea that there was there was something there to research in some way i mean obviously there's something to research but that there's some way of going about it i want to like cut in a clip of a rasputina song Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) which we don't have to do uh but there's a song that's uh sung i think from the perspective of like a american colonial uh little girl saying that like we discovered the remains of giants from the Bible. And it's this like very like happy jig song. But uh the the joke being that like people found dinosaur skeletons. Cool. But because they only had a biblical education, they were like, ah, the Bible talks about uh Leviathans and Behemoths. This must be proof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good old Bible. Should we got a little off traffic, shall we jump back into it? Yeah. Okay. Uh thanks for thanks for indulging my, you know, I think because that's the premise of this whole thing. Can you regenerate this knowledge, you know, if it's deleted from your mind? I wanted to kind of hammer on that for a minute. So mm-hmm. now I'm prepared to keep going. Okay. All right. If you see a beaver chewing a log, then you know what this thing that chews through logs looks like. And you will be able to recognize it on future occasions, whether it's called a beaver or not. But if you acquire your beliefs about beavers by someone else telling you facts about beavers, you may not be able to recognize a beaver when you see one. That cracks me up because... uh. I had a friend from New York City who, like, I picked up and uh, she was coming to visit me. And there's these things called muskrats. <laughs> I mean, New Jersey has beavers and muskrats, but uh, muskrats, they're, they're aquatic, large aquatic rats. Uh, and there were a few of them just hanging out by the roadside. And my friend was like, oh, my God, beavers. <gasps> I can't believe there's real beavers. Wow. <laughs> and I just, like, didn't have the heart to tell her, like, oh, those are muskrats. It's just a big rat. Like, yeah, look at the beavers. That's cool, Aww. right? That's, that's i don't know you you should have said something because i think i did a fl- okay <laughs> but like there's a flawed idea of what beavers are and that could become very embarrassing someday <laughs> um but yeah the this point about the the beavers thing and about regenerating knowledge is that if you don't have enough experience to regenerate beliefs when they are deleted then do you have enough experience to connect that belief to anything at all uh, he quotes wittgenstein saying a wheel that can be turned through no- a wheel that can be turned, though nothing else moves with it, is not part of the mechanism. And I guess that's, a, you know, <laughs> what you said about, like, trivia. It doesn't really connect anything. It doesn't matter at all. So it's it's trivia. It's not, like, a part of you. Yeah. And so I guess what I'm getting at is that the only thing I'd take away, like, from my digression there is that I'm okay with having plenty of my 
repository of facts be of that category, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like I don't, I don't care. Th- this knowledge is not part of me, right. right? This is something that I believe that I would bet on if someone asked me, right? But I'm not. I, it's not the kind of thing I care enough about to try to integrate. You know, I've, I've picked up a few things about stacks and stack traces just from talking to you and being around you and Brian when you guys are talking. <laughs> But, like, if someone needed me to do anything with that knowledge, I'd be like, I, n- nope, I don't know, man. This is trivia in my head. I cannot entangle it with anything in the real world to make any sort of predictions or affect changes. Oh, yeah, I wanted to ask, actually, um, in the beginning of the Truly Part of USA, uh, there's this notation with state of mind. Mm-hmm. I think we, I forget if we talked about that concept, but I was just curious, as the non-programmer, do you know what this notation is? Does this make sense to you? He called it Lisp notation, uh, which is an old programming language that I'm not familiar with. Okay. That might be how you would diagram out like a function or something, um, but I'm just guessing. Uh, it does not look like the most succinct way to explain that concept to me, but... Also sort of is the same idea that those, you know, happiness and state of mind are not truly part of you if you were a computer that just had that statement installed. So there's just a bunch of illustrative examples. Uh, the next one was my, my sheep counter. Mm-hmm. A shepherd builds a counting system that works by throwing a pebble into a bucket whenever a sheep leaves the fold, and taking a pebble out whenever the sheep returns. If you, the apprentice, don't understand this system, if it's magic that works for no apparent reason, then you won't know what to do if you accidentally drop an extra pebble in the bucket. Oh. I broke the sheep counter! Mm-hmm. If... 2 plus 4 equals 6 is a brute fact unto you, and then one of the elements changes to 5. How are you to know that 2 plus 5 equals 7 when you were simply told that 2 plus 4 equals 6? I guess that kind of, um... No, I'm glad I <laughs> jumped back up to the notation at the top, because that's just saying that, like, if you just have the statement 2 plus 4 equals 6, and you don't know that the TWO equals the integer 2, like, yeah, then, like, you don't have any knowledge about math. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't understand what these things are and what they represent. And then, I really like this. If you see a small plant that drops a seed whenever a bird passes it, it won't occur to you that you can use this plant to partially automate the sheep counter, which I just love the idea <laughs> of, I'm imagining for some reason, like, this is medieval times, like I'm just, or like maybe like a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that just like... Got this awesome biopunk tinkerer. Yeah, in like I was just era. imagining, yeah, like, you know, like thatched roof cottages and like twine and springs and wood like contraptions that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, though, though you learned with this plant that that drops seeds, though you learned something that the original maker would use to improve on their invention, you can't go back to the source and recreate it. When you contain the source of a new thought, that thought can change along with you as you acquire new knowledge, new knowledge and new skills. When you contain the source of a thought, it becomes truly a part of you and grows along with you. Uh, so it's very, very useful to be able to have those things actually understood and be a part of you rather than be trivia if, uh, you know, if you need to use those at all. Although I don't think any of us would necessarily run into a situation where we it matters to us how light propagates and um actually mm-hmm. i took optics for artists uh as a class in college i haven't i have an art bachelor's lol um <laughs> I, you need to understand how light works to be a good artist do you need to understand it on the level of it is modeled as a mathematical wave function um no but like subsurface scattering is something that you need to know in order to draw like translucence okay uh and then like there's 
a light source, you know, like light and shadow, and then there's also bounce light. So mm-hmm. if you're drawing a portrait of a person, a novice artist would, or like, I don't know, not a novice, a intermediate artist would look at the face and draw the parts that are, you know, like lit from the light source coming down from the ceiling, say, mm-hmm. and then the shadows. Okay, I understand that the light's coming from the ceiling, so the underneath of the nose, the chin, etc., are going to be shadowed. Mm-hmm. Um, and an expert artist would know that the light is also bouncing off the floor mm-hmm. or off the walls, so you have to draw not just the primary light source but the bounce light, which can also be colored. Cool. <laughs> so all that is to say that... Um, I don't know, going back to the analogy of the wheel, I liked that one a lot, but it like kind of got me thinking, um, if there's a mechanism where all the wheels are turning different things, and there's just one wheel sitting there spinning, yeah, it's not interacting with any of it. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about more like thought as a network, where you have all the ideas that are connected to the way light works. Um, like, you know what a wave and a particle is, and then you can kind of imagine what something in the middle of that might be, and you know about the two-slit experiment, and you know about light bouncing or um prismatics or whatever uh and those all like form a model together that interacts with other things like drawing oh i mean i agree with you for the most part but like when you said you know what a wave and a particle is and you can imagine something in between the middle of those like that's actually like kind of where my knowledge is fuzzy yeah i'm worried you can't see it so (laughs) i i'm worried about that kind of aspect of things because uh if you don't it's okay to just have trivia, but if you're trying to use trivia that isn't truly a part of you, uh, then you can run into things like Deepak Chopra, yeah. Chopra, Chopra, Chopra stuff, where it's like you know, quantum physics says that you can relative, affect man. things, yeah, at a distance <laughs> without transferring information, and uh, that means that anything is possible in psychic powers and the secret. Oh my god! And that that comes from like having absorbed trivia and thinking the words mean the same thing they do in your imagination and. And then trying to affect the world with trivia rather than affecting the world with knowledge that is truly part of you. Deepak Chopra exists in a plane where there is no territory and there's just the math. <laughs> uh, but what I what I heard Jay saying about artists just confirmed to me that there were, were no good artists up until like what seventy years ago. Uh, Mike, Michelangelo artists. was pretty fucking but, good. But you were saying that you have to understand that light is is made of waves and and the. Um, the... you don't have to understand that, but you. I thought you said you did. <laughs> I, I'm saying that, like, the more knowledge you have about light, uh, so, like... I, I, was, I was just teasing. I, I meant, like... No, it's kind of like I, I meant Michelangelo to, I meant to have fun was of just like, drawing yeah. things and observing the way light worked. Mm-hmm. I mean, also, he was a bit of a like, inventor tinkerer, but, uh... Well, the thing he, is, like... You can absorb enough of that knowledge, kind of the way that, like, the, the baker who just is experimenting in the kitchen, uh, he, like, Michelangelo definitely understood subsurface scattering, but he doesn't understand why it works. Just that, like, when you're drawing translucence, you have to draw it like this totally that's what i was going to say is you know and that's why i was being facetious about it but the um you know one way that you would do that is i would draw the face as i thought i should and then look at my picture and then look at the face that i'm drawing i'm like these don't look like each other what what am i missing and then you keep going back and realizing like oh there's a blue hue on the right cheek because that wall is blue oh okay i get it yeah. but you don't have to understand what the you know you don't have to understand anything about why that's the case right mm-hmm. like it sure helps but like i, I think you made a great I, th- I think drawing it back to the cooking analogy is perfect because you can be a great baker slash chef without having any understanding of chemistry, or you can be a great chemist and well, still you, stuck at the, stuck in the kitchen, to right? Get understanding of chemistry, but you get it through your own tinkering. Like you might not know, yeah, like why um, baking soda and vinegar foam, but you know that it does. I think that's more <laughs> alchemy than chemistry. Then, yeah, <laughs> like well, chemistry to me implies 
knowing things about Chemicals. molecules yeah. and how they interact. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, like you do doing... know how they, like, you could get good enough that you know how things interact and you could anticipate an experience uh, between, like, combining lemon juice and dairy. Mm. Uh, it's just, I think, like, the top down versus the bottom up knowledge. Anyway, I, yeah, yeah, I can dig it. That's awesome. Uh, strive to make yourself the source of every thought worth thinking. <laughs> that sounds hard. It does. I'm, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. Some thoughts yeah. are worth having, even if you didn't make them up yourself. Uh, if the thought originally came from outside, make sure it comes from inside as well. Continually ask yourself, how would I regenerate the thought if it were deleted? Oh, I think we just answered the like the bottom up. When, or, when you have, I guess an, that would be bottom up knowledge if you're baking or drawing by trial and error. When you have an answer, imagine that knowledge being deleted as well. And when you find a fountain, see what else it can pour. And I'm, yeah, I, I have the same note that Stephen is about to make, I think. I think that I just made in passing. I saw that you put that in here. You're like, yeah, that sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. Like, I mean, there is, that is truly admirable. And when you really know this stuff, oh my God, you can do amazing things. You can like be the John Carmack of baking or the John Carmack mm. of the physical world or whatever. Knowledge transfers too, which is why I was thinking more about the network then well at first like the clock analogy with the one wheel spinning and then a network where there's a node that nothing's attached to but uh when you start making a big web um it becomes easier to triangulate the missing information if you were to delete it because there's a lot of things still attached to it so when it was saying like how would i regenerate this if it was deleted and then imagine that that knowledge being deleted and i'm just imagining you're like deleting nodes so all the connections between them Mm -hmm. break but then like you could still follow the ones that you still have and like uh if you knew nothing about history, you'd be wandering around, like, picking up rocks and, like, what the hell is this? But uh, if you knew that you were looking for, like, the Battle of Hastings is a thing that happened that, like, you know, I, we need to figure out more information about because it was never recorded. And you'd, like, know where to go look and what kinds of, you know, archaeological things to find and how to process them and how to get knowledge from that if you had all the rest of the nodes about history. When there's all kinds of useful trivia that you can have in your life that you don't need to understand why it's the case, you know, like if you have a, mar- a carbon monoxide detector or a radon pump or something, like you, you just need to know that if this, th- if this thing starts beeping, I need to get out of the house. Right. Right. I don't need to know what carbon monoxide is or how it interacts with my body to know that I shouldn't be in here. I think yeah. it's right? better to know, like... Things. The more you know, the merrier. Yeah, but as like, long as you know that that thing- bit of trivia, you won't die of carbon monoxide poisoning. I think the um, and- suggestion that everybody should, tr- like really strive to uh, actually says that yes like strive to make yourself the source of every thought Hmm. well maybe worth thinking is uh i guess you gotta put a lot of things into the not worth thinking then yeah well like like is it we 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 don't have infinite time at least that we know of it'd be cool if we did because this is exactly what i would do if i were immortal just learn everything tinker with shit even if you had infinite time by the time you learned how the carbon monoxide uh detector works maybe you've forgotten about why light behaves as a way if i have infinite time i also have infinite storage or not infinite storage but like perfect recall okay there's like some way to capture thoughts but anyway like considering that we do have limited time and resources i think maybe not striving to make yourself the source of every thought yeah (laughs) but the ones worth thinking uh like i think this is a great ideal if you're a superman like transhuman mythical godlike figure but it's just it's so much fucking work to gain to truly make yourself the source of even a little bit of knowledge. The fact that he threw in worth thinking, uh, I think, like, Inuyasha, you're a writer, Steven, you're a programmer, like, thoughts about those things are probably more worth thinking. Like, whatever you're most interested in or 
what you're like depending on what your goals are i think that that actually this is it's pretty worthwhile to try to like really explore the knowledge behind if it's like your craft if, yeah. it's, if it's your profession totally i mean that's why people like talking shop that's why people like yeah. podcasts about what their interests are because it makes that knowledge more a part of you you can you can trace back the source and you can you know really connecting a lot more nodes yeah exactly you can get a deeper gears level feeling about things these things but you can't do that for everything yeah or like it not if you tried it with everything you run across i think i actually like when i first got into less drag I, I sort of like used to be really anxious about this the fact that like I started noticing that there were all these gaps in my knowledge, and I felt like I need to like just be on Wikipedia constantly. Mm-hmm. I think I think I had anxiety about that as a kid too, or just liked encyclopedias. But like, it's like okay, shit. How do bikes work? Like you like go to ride your bike to work, and then like you're like on Wikipedia. You know, after a bit, it's like oh, you know, like you walk in. Oh, how does how does carpet work? Wait, how does paint work? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you get super overwhelmed. Uh, you do have to yeah focus on like what things are worth really drilling down into the nitty-gritty and then like what things can you just sort of like when i'm an immortal i'll figure out how paint works well i think feeling anxiety about not knowing everything segues very nicely into our main topic today yeah it does so nicely that i can't use my or i was going to bring up one more thing related to that but go ahead i guess i would wonder where you stop the terminating process of like once you figure out where that thought came from erase that too Mm -hmm. because like Eventually, you just... I, I was thinking about this more in terms of, like, uh, um, ethics. How do, you, how, how do you live a good life? Um, how do you, you know, maximize your own happiness or whatever your goal is? You know, if, if you become convinced about, like, the tenets of utilitarianism, or the conclusions, or I guess, rather, um, you know, I can give the analogy of the shallow pond, right? Stephen Pinker's thing, or St- uh, Peter Singer's thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's... That's one analogy, but, you know, if I, okay, well, throw that out. You know, how else would you, you know, think about um, how you weigh, like, the cost of goods versus human lives? Well, you know, suffering is bad. Well, throw that part out, too. Like, at, at that point, it just seems like you're, you're, you're throwing everything away. I think you just start deleting enough that you just, you would you start crashing. Like, like, you just go down to being a baby, eventually. Like, cause the idea it... of the network, and you delete the nodes, and then, like, the, you know, connections between them go away is actually like you know neurons are a network like that so i guess that ultimately brings be going all the way back to blank slate and that brings you back to the uh newly created ai right that wouldn't have anything at all in its network yet well this is really valuable to think of in the terms of an ai for sure i think in terms of us like i'm fine just like saying okay no i think i did some legwork and i've I've established these at these axioms for my moral framework and yeah, they're up for revision if something else comes up, but for now I'm going to build on this edifice, right? Mm. Um, like, the basic things, like suffering is bad, right? And what is suffering? I don't know. The thing that people say that they hate. You know, why is it wrong to do that? Because I've decided that it is, you know, for the sake of just dodging the rest of this argument about what's right and wrong, right? Basically, we as humans know everything we know from experimentation and then other people's experimentation that they've recorded. Like, if you think of erasing, like, basically, like... You know stuff because your history has taught you it. So if you started just rewinding time, uh, you'd go back to just being a baby, which has like a bunch of hardware and software ready to go, but nothing installed on it yet. And the difference, I think, you know, like a human and an AI, they both would start as a baby with like the hardware and software, but like no knowledge. But but with an AI, you can uh, you can give it like the entire internet. Um, 
you could have it read every book. Like, you you can't pre-install a bunch of, or like, you know, put a bunch of shit in a baby's head. <laughs> it has to learn things by interacting with the world. And AI would as well, but it, but you could, could preload it with tons of stuff. I, I know Kung Fu. Yeah. <laughs> and babies come preloaded with a bunch of things too. Yeah. Uh, it's not exactly true that they're blank slate, but yeah, that's why I was yeah. saying sort of the software and hardware, like mostly babies are little like learning machines. Yeah. That's what their job is. I, I like the running things, running time backwards analogy, because I was just thinking, yeah, that would be like, if you knock out one piece of knowledge, but you still have all the supporting network, that's kind of like running time backwards and you could refill in that piece of knowledge because of the supporting network around it. But if you kept that initial piece of knowledge and knocked out the supporting network around it, then you just have that one unsupported belief. And then it's like that single spinning wheel or like a piece mm -hmm. of trivia where it's I mean, not that, that useful anymore. It doesn't. That reminds me of like losing belief. Cause like if I, if I thought of like the edifice of my beliefs uh, about religion mm -hmm. and then like, the the way that it deteriorated was exactly like that of yeah. like pieces of it fell away and then eventually there were just like spinning wheels left there that it, like if you scrutinize them it's like oh this isn't connected to anything time to throw that one out yeah that one out yeah <laughs> well for next time we are going to talk about the less wrong posts not for the sake of happiness alone and leaky generalizations okay thanks for indulging me we could have torn through these sequence posts and i feel like i bogged us down yeah uh as long we as we were, have fun. I think driving. It usually take us a while anyway. So. <laughs> well, well, give me a bonk if I'm ever distracting us, or just say, like, look, let's stay on topic and I won't be offended. I so. think you bring up good stuff. Mm. <laughs> I agree. Your, your, contribu your contribution is valuable. Appreciate it. So our main topic this week is uh, a post written by Sasha Chaplin. Chaplin? Not Chaplin. Shapin. Shapin. Sasha Shapin. Uh, hmm, I wonder if he's related to Patrick at all. Uh, <laughs> who is uh, in the rationalist community and has got a post that he recently wrote called Your Intelligent Conscientious In-Group Has Bad Social Norms Too, uh, which we will be talking about today a little bit because we're always trying to make this community uh, good for not just the people who've been here for a long time, but for the new people too. And there's some certain traps that they might fall into and not notice it. And so we're trying to help out with that, right? I'm super into it. Yeah, I'm glad that... Uh... Actually, I was asking earlier where you had found this, and I think you said just uh, someone posted on on the Amazing Conspiracy Discord. I believe so. Because uh, this is something related to like what's been on my mind lately with uh, the rationalist community and some of the problems that we have as a community. Okay. Like a kind of an outreach problem, sort of like what Charlie and I were talking about too. How there's like skew gender, skew race. You know, like we're a lot of sort of twenty thirty nerdy white programmers <laughs> and then the disproportionate number of trans people uh and it i think is cool uh I, I found myself when i was reading this push it like wanting to push back against it a mm -hmm. few times i mm -hmm. think uh some of them were valid and some i realized i was just kind of like <laughs> actually experiencing the like hey this person's criticizing my in-group how dare they and i'm like oh wait that's the that's the post <laughs> yeah when we go through the post and you find the examples of those let me know which ones jumped out at you yeah as you know, I'm in this picture and I don't like it. Uh, that wasn't my issue, but I'll... Okay, if, I, if... I just like that phrasing of stuff. That, like, <laughs> that wasn't what you're describing. So the post starts out by saying, uh, rationalists become, some rationalists become miserable by trying to govern their entire lives through nothing but rationality. And some EAs, in this case short for effective altruists, which uh, is 
basically like a sister community, a lot of overlap, um, but not necessarily the exact same thing. Uh, EAs feel bad by holding themselves to an impossible standard of ethics. I also notice this happens in all kinds of other nerdy, purpose-oriented communities. This is a real shame because there are these are some of the most productive, original, intelligent, charming, strange people in my world. So he's basically saying, like, here's a thing I found that seems to make people miserable, and I'd like to uh, address it. Yeah, uh, I realize one of the things that I kept uh, pushing back against or, like, finding myself annoyed by when I was reading this was... Uh, it was kind of called out in the beginning here, where it was, like, it's not just rational rationality in EA. Uh, he was saying other nerdy purpose-oriented communities also like and i was just kind of like as i was reading it like maybe i just missed that part but i was like you're describing every social like community that because yes. I've, I've been in other communities such as like the anime mm-hmm. you know like convention mm-hmm. community and i was just like this this just happens in anytime humans make a group <laughs> yes. i think that that he Kind of explicitly says that, though, right? Yeah, well, that, that's what I was just calling yeah. out. I was like, oh, he said it in, like, the, you know, second paragraph. But, um... I think he drives it home, like, late in the thing, too, where he's like, look, this is probably true of other circles that I used to run in, too, but I'm not in those anymore. I think that there's still value in pointing this out because people might think, you know, all those other groups have all these toxic problems, but mine doesn't. Yeah. And so that that's the point, right? That's, yeah. Hence thing, the title. Yeah. That, I think every group has this issue, and being able to, you know, point it out and talk about it is valuable. Yeah, that's that's what um I ended up like coming to, and I was being a bit annoyed. Like, oh, okay, like these things happen, these things happen. We'll we'll get into the specifics of what toxic social norms look like. Um, and I was just like, yeah, like you know, that's everything. And then uh, I was like, oh, but other communities I've been in don't really talk about it explicitly. Oh God, not at all. If or so... they do, but it's performative. Like, uh, let's say that that like anime convention community. Um. I remember, like, when when people were starting photo shoots, they would always have, like, someone get a megaphone and be, like, you know, yelling, like, here's the rules, and uh, one of the, you know, like, don't touch people without consent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but it, like, it's it's sort of almost an applause light. Mm-hmm. Like, it got to the point where it was this sort of, and then, like, you know, structured, don't do this, don't do that, we do things this way, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I remember, like, you know... It, it, cosplay is not consent just being this sort of uh phrase that like people would use in these big like social gathering like yeah of course obviously you know like that that those are the rules you tell the new people but then like among like cliques there was definitely different (laughs) standards like the homestuck community was very Mm (laughs) touchy-feely and it was sort of like the group norm was you like everybody lays on a pile in the floor (laughs) (laughs) and that was like so there was sort of like here's our stated norms and then but it was sort of like but like there's lots of you know caveats and yeah. <laughs> unspoken norms that you have to just figure out you've got the anime community i have the um sci-fi lit community and uh they they have very many uh strongly woke influenced social norms right now and even trying to bring those up would be definitely not a thing you would do and something that might get you cast out if you want to be a member in good standing, you won't do it often. The thing being that you can't talk about them uh, in other communities is very common, or at least seems to be to me. So the fact that we do... Yeah, like you can't debate cosplay. Is, yeah. Cosplay is not consent. Like if, you know, you were one of the co-organizers of an anime con and you're like, well, okay, like, so we have this thing, cosplay is not consent, but then like also there's, what does that mean? Who does this apply to? Or like, at, you know, if... if Somebody comes to con staff and says, like, this person, you know, inappropriately grabbed my angel wings. <laughs> and 
I don't know. Like, how, how do we resolve that? Like, it's it's that's why I was saying it's not a plausible. It's something people chant, but it's not like you, I never like really saw it being that, that there wasn't like any protocol attached to it. Mm. But that's why we're here. We're going to be yeah. talking about this. Oh, that's why I like the rationality community because yeah, making these things explicit means that you can actually like debate what kinds of norms you should have and which ones are maybe yeah just an applause light or even harmful yeah anyway. why i'd say rationality is one lens of viewing things that can also view itself yes whoa <laughs> someone should put that on a mug do I, it i should pretend i made that quote up just for all the three seconds till someone calls me an asshole for pretending uh, so it uh, is pointed out that lots of times the problem is groups develop toxic social norms which is what this post is about in the rationalist community, one toxic norm is something like you must reject beliefs that you can't justify, sentiments that don't seem rational, and woo things. In the EA community, one toxic norm is something like don't ever indulge in Epicurean style and never, ever stop thinking about your impact on the world. Uh, I can't speak about the EA community because I am not part of it. Uh, from my outside observation, this seems to be the case, but... um. Who knows? It, it may not actually be the case for anyone who's in the thing because uh, there's enough bleed over. I mean, maybe not Epicurean style, but what is Epicurean style? I'm maybe I'm dumb. I mean, I don't <laughs> know either. It's just a quote here. Let's Google it and find out. Yeah, let's find out. Uh, <laughs> but while you're looking that up, I was just thinking. That I, I think there's definitely bleed over of the whole like never stop thinking about your impact on the world and the rationality community, the hero license, and like. Uh, most people, I think, in the rat community have the idea of effective charity, like that you, you know, to be a good person, you should be donating 10% of your income to uh, against malaria foundation or or something, the highest quality charity, at least the idea of there being like better quality ways of giving, I think is pretty deeply rooted in the rationalist community. Epicureanism is a form of hedonism uh, in that it <laughs> okay. declares pleasure to be its social intrinsic, uh, to be its sole intrinsic goal. However, the concept that the absence of pain and fear constitutes the greatest pleasure makes it uh, different from hedonism as it's commonly understood. Okay, I appreciate that. I knew it sounded like something along the vein of hedonism, but then when it said Epicurean style, for some reason I pictured that like um, like an architectural style, <laughs> and I, 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 I had no idea what that was talking about. But... I would have assumed it was a philosophy. Epicureanism so... argued that pleasure was the chief good in Which life. Which I guess it is, but... Uh... Not the kind I was thinking of. And all this is according to Wikipedia, so let's pray that Wikipedia is not lying to us about what Epicurus said back in the day. I'm sure it's right. <laughs> Wikipedia so, is great. <laughs> what's fun is that um, I can see... I, I, I don't know how long, how deep we want to get into this before I point out kind of my stance on half of this post, but mm -hmm. um, I'll just mention really quick that I do know that the EA community is well aware of the fact that uh, if you never, ever stop thinking about your impact on the world you burn out and stop giving an impact, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know any of the key players in this, all the way up to, like, Will McCaskill and Peter Singer, who are like, always keep your eye on the ball. In fact, they kind of explicitly say the opposite, mm -hmm. right? But they, they started saying it because it is an issue. Like, um... Well, it was an issue, and when, they, when, like, the, when you know, the philosophy was developed, like, 50 years ago, I'm sure some form of EA was around before that, but Peter Singer really kicked it off in 1975. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, yeah, because the... In fact, I think the, the essay that, as long as me as, like, you know, someone who knows 10% of the shit that I pretend to know, um, I'll say that that basically started the EA movement as we know it today. Uh, the, the essay, Famine, Affluence, and Morality, 
And that it was do- around 75? 1975, you know, I think. It doesn't entirely surprise me, seeing as that was basically <laughs> the nadir of American hedonism. <laughs> it's, it, you know... Or the peak of hedonism, I guess, depending on how you feel about hedonism. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, I think the, the essay argues that, like, you should keep giving until you're sacrificing something of comparable moral worth to that of the person that you could be saving. And so that does take it all the way to the bottom, <laughs> to where you're living at sustenance levels... Or subsistence levels just to keep an, keep enough of your life together to keep a job so you can keep giving. Right? Yeah, yeah. So the the philosophy has grown a lot a lot since then. Mm-hmm. Um, and they figured out what's sustainable, like yeah. because if that is in the, in seventy five, if all of your adherents are doing that, they're probably all burning out <laughs> and then having psychological breakdowns. And <laughs> I don't know if he had any adherents. Now that said, I don't know if he was advocating in that essay for a a lifestyle choice. Uh, what he was saying is that this seems to be the logical implication. This was more of a, I think that was a bit of a, like a philosophical argument and less of, less of a, uh, prescription on how to live. Yeah. Yeah. That is very interesting because like, it was my impression from like the outside having only skimmed the EA stuff that, uh, it was very much a, you have to give up everything. And this is our, our ideal that you live, you know, basically hand to mouth and give everything you can away. And, like maybe that is part of the problem because he also says like of the rationalist community the the toxic norm is you must reject beliefs that you can't justify sentiments that don't seem rational and I don't I don't think that's really a norm uh, but then he adds and woo things at the end and I'm like hell yeah get rid of woo things yeah that was when I read that sentence uh, I was like you, you you know you shouldn't have beliefs you can't justify or like sentiments that don't seem rational and woo th- and I was just like yes 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 but like, I mean. Like, I, what's wrong with that? <laughs> the majority of magicians I know, or I guess I should say wizards, or war, what, are, what are they called? You know? Chaos magic people? Right, yeah. yeah. Wiccans? I mean, like, I mean, David and David. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know... The, I think this... only one David is a wizard, but... Anyway. No, 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 they're no, both now. They're both yeah. wizards? Yeah. When did this happen? Anyway. <laughs> Come um, on, Stephen. <laughs> I think... Oh, I process that. You know, practice practitioners of placebomancy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I can give you a placebomancy, I think, is... I'm on board with that. The second you start pretending like it's actually doing something, then that's when I get annoyed. But oh, yeah, I still have to write that essay about that. Please do, because then I can start just pointing them at that rather than anyway. I, I I love these guys and I love what they what their aim is with this stuff. But they're having fun, and I have no idea to what extent they believe it's you know believe in actual magic or not. But I guess what I'm saying is that if I wasn't in the rationalist community, I would know exactly zero people who do this, mm. right? <laughs> right. So I know fewer people in the rationalist community who do this than I did outside of it. Again, maybe it was because my friends were nerds and anime people, largely, but... Yeah, I definitely know a lot of people who are into more of the, yeah, the woo tarot card reading kind of stuff. My stuff might be... My data might be skewed by the fact that I don't know anybody, and I, you know... (laughs) I I, just don't know humans. Yeah, I know, like, four people, and two of them are in this room, so... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you think that it's a norm that you must reject beliefs you can't justify? I'm not sure... I think when the like I think like you should look strongly at beliefs like that, but I don't think reject outright is necessarily the case. It really depends on what they're talking about here, which uh bugged me a bit because like when I when again when I read that sentence I was like I completely agree with this sentence. What's wrong with that? That's not a toxic norm, that's a positive one. Like you should you should reject your unjustifiable and woo beliefs. Like, Absolutely should I think your life would be better if you did that, and that that's one of the, like, a, like maybe because it's an aspirational goal. Like, I, I was trying to, like, steel man this, where, where I was like, okay, maybe, like, maybe he's talking about, for example, magicians, like, 
like that do card tricks or something or like reading fiction uh and not literally practicing witchcraft (laughs) well he includes sentiments that don't seem rational which i personally have an issue with because i think one of the core rationalist things is that a lot of our emotions and sentiments are heuristics that we've developed over time based on what we've been exposed to and sometimes uh they aren't rational and we need to you know like look into them and reject them but lots of times the sentiments are there for a good reason and you don't just reject them because you can't necessarily yeah. explain exactly where they came from steel They're manning there for this a reason. i think what he's saying is it feels straw vulcany yeah like um that people like maybe people new to the rationality community uh or like really you know drinking the kool-aid i think with, like, things like i can't is, i can't yeah. feel love because it's not rational <laughs> or, yeah like is there anyone in the community who thinks that uh, like that, that that's the weird thing right like the the straw vulcan has been around for 10 years like as a as a term you know the, the blog post denigrating that line of thinking has been around for 12 yeah. um i think it's interesting you know having been a side not tertiary but a a peripheral semi contributor to the to the community for like five years doing this podcast I feel like I'm not in the middle of the community. Maybe if I was in a group home in the Bay Area, they'd all be talking like this. I have no idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I don't feel like... I didn't read that as straw balcony. I guess I'd, you know, reject sentiments that aren't rational. Like, you want to have sentiments that are rational. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, that that actually does make sense. You know, don't don't be mad at, you know, like, the God for dropping a tree branch on your car, right? Right. Be mad at your neighbor for being a dipshit who was sawing without a permit and, and dropped your dropped a tree branch in your car. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be mad at anybody. And that's the thing is you, you find out what you should actually direct your emotions towards and where you should draw them from. Yeah. But if you are in a room with somebody who kind of gets off on the wrong foot with you and you immediately have kind of a negative reaction to them. And then the things they keep doing over the next hour, you're like, I don't really like this person. That may not be based on like, a rational analysis of who they are or what they are but like i don't think you should distrust your sentiment you can be like yeah i don't really like this person and i'm not sure i want to be around them and that's okay but that's understanding that intuition is also rational yeah there's some there's some intuition i think that that's half the reply the other half might be like if you actually can't figure out why you don't like them maybe it's an indicator that you should give them another shot and be like oh i was just hungry that day right i was mad at everything mm-hmm. like that that could be the solution or that could that could be the answer um i don't know i so far i haven't found anything objectionable in what he's saying here other than like i wonder if his characterization of like the ea norms are is i mean again i'm not saying if he's saying that these are i'm not clear if he's saying i think it's accurate if these uh, are the the actual norms of the ea community or if these are the toxic ones that like we shouldn't have because well, these are, yeah, the the toxic norms. Like he says, one of the ones, the toxic ones, is everyone in the room immediately looks at you like you're being rude if you talk about spirituality. And I like that norm because, <laughs> yeah, don't bring spirituality bullshit into, into this rationalist meetup or whatever. Or it's, I think that's a good norm and yeah. spirituality in general is bullshit and we shouldn't bother with it. I mean, um, in again, like I can try to steal a minute by if you're imagining like someone new to the community. Mm-hmm. maybe would be put off uh like we want to get new members and then like slowly indoctrinate them into the sequences <laughs> that makes it sound really evil when i say right. it like that but like maybe that like they're talking about like one of the reasons that we have a hard time finding new members or being uh like not I... intimidating to, to people is that like oh I, I guess i can pull from experience like before i went to actual like in-person rationalist meetups 
um i was really like scared that it was going to be a bunch of straw vulcans and like everyone there was going to be so much smarter than me and they'd be like reject me for being dumb mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh everyone there was a lot smarter than me but it was great look jace had a feeling a let's point and laugh <laughs> yeah but like that's sort of what i was afraid i was going to run into and I, I feel like maybe from the outside people might get like this this group is scary or hostile and not want to join whereas joining might help them like but again like yeah sort of the, the end of steel man uh I, I like don't want to do, lose though. that norm, though, like that, that aspirational norm of like, we try to be rational yeah, <laughs> and we don't really care about or even like tolerate lots of like woo and spirituality. And what are you going to do when like you hear someone say what you just said, aside from, you know what, just come to a meeting, please, and see if that's the way it is, because maybe you're going to love it, which I seems like you did, right? You actually convinced me to go to my first meetup when I was in New Jersey and we were still emailing. I remember, I mean, I remember saying that I wasn't aware I was that big of an impact. No, I thought I told you that. I I mean... You're directly responsible. I know, but it was like one year I don't feel like I was that responsible. Well... It's it's weird when you people are like, yeah. you were this big influence. I'm like, I, all I did was write an email. It doesn't feel like a big deal. But it is. Okay. So I gotta be careful. Well, I, think right. that, I think that's just life. Okay. I told the person who got me into programming that, like, you know, thanks for putting my whole life on an entirely new trajectory. And he's like, that actually freaked me out. You just say, you know? <laughs> I just, I just sent, you know, sent you a link for a book and I'm like, well, you know, that's, I think that's just how life works. You know, my wife got into her line of work because her second roommate in college was doing that. Hmm. You know, just things happen. Things, well, some but, things matter that seem like they shouldn't. And yeah. just vice versa. <laughs> but see, that almost sounds like spirituality. Um, so I, that, that was going to be my contention with this is I, my, for the last several approaching a decade years my context for spirituality is like almost explicitly in the sam harris context not like the deepak chopra context mm-hmm. yeah and like, so i i think it's just a i i would want to find a different word of what it, what it is what it, what is he talking about there like the soul or religion or um uh, reiki magic or is he talking about like the sense of awe and wonder you get when you contemplate the cosmos because that sounds yeah the, the, i've heard both called spiritual that's why i think that these words are like things you can't justify sentiments that don't seem rational woo things like you could steel man or straw man these really easily um so and since we as a community i think have a positive norm of steel manning i want to say that like what he's saying that you shouldn't outright reject are things like the rationalist solstice uh like things that feel good that don't like harm anyone uh like i don't know p- playing magic the gathering uh well i mean i even though I personally haven't gone to Rationalist Solstice, uh, I'm okay with other people doing it. I've never told anyone they shouldn't. I'm just like, it's, that's not really my thing. But, you know. Yeah, I want to, like, find myself wanting to weasel around like that by, like... Because I keep thinking of... I keep trying to straw man it, even though I want to steel man it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh... And maybe if I went to a secular or a Rationalist Solstice, it would be much like the uh, Less Wrong meetup thing that you experienced, where actually it's great. Yeah, like, um rationally i don't know you can pick apart a social ritual and realize that like (laughs) i'm gonna do a thing that the person says you shouldn't do like Mm -hmm. in like the next paragraph but uh you know going to a community gathering doing a ritual um has these like evolutionary ties to connectedness and well-being and releases a bunch of endorphins (laughs) like orexin and oxytocin and uh 
like improves your life in measurable ways and yeah like (laughs) sasha actually says like people can't like you know just say that they like doing a thing without having to justify it using rationalist jargons like i was just sort of like i sort of just did that exact thing but i'm like but like you can (laughs) that's why i sort of disagree a bit with the premise here where i'm like i i I think you it's good to know things sort of based on our sequences like if, if you know why social rituals are good you can cut out the bullshit like the believing in shit that doesn't exist and the you know predatory communities that can form around churches and whatever and like keep the parts that are good (laughs) see i think it's the the predatory communities thing that he's trying to get to because so far what we've said is these norms are great we like these norms huzzah for these norms and then he says like in the next bullet point i pulled out near the bottom he says like yeah these norms are great he literally says these norms are great uh, toxic no- social norms don't develop intentionally. No one wants them to happen. He says that talking about epistemics and being curious about beliefs is, is cool. Uh, that's awesome. But then he says, but then the group acts like a group. <laughs> As we were saying, this happens yeah. to all groups. Which is to say, people confer status depending on level of apparent adherence to values. This leads insecure people who completely depend on the group to over-identify with the set of values to the extent that even slightly contrary actions become forbidden. And, like, I, I think that's that's probably true in the case in any uh, in any sort of group. The the old saying is that there's no one as as zealous as the new convert. But I mean, isn't the problem there that people are insecure and completely depend on the group t- for their identity? Like that's <laughs> that's the thing that needs to be addressing. Try to try to get people to not be so insecure and base their entire identity on one group. Yeah, I kept flashing back to a talk I had with Wes, like, years ago about the whole idea of keeping your identity small. Mm -hmm. And it kind of sounds like almost the same conclusion that we kind of came to, um, where I was sort of arguing, I don't, like, I didn't agree that you should keep your, what was it, your identity small. Mm -hmm. And Wes was arguing for, and we kind of came to, maybe, okay, don't, like, narrow your identity, but just have lots of them. Like, you can have an identity as, you know, a parent and a spouse and a researcher and a polo hobbyist. And, like, the more stuff that you have, the the more stuff you have that defines you. Like, if one of them, get, like, gets kicked out from under you, it doesn't mean that your personality collapses entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys said you had this conversation a few years ago? Yeah. You know what's fun is I feel like that's what Julia Galef concluded in, or talked about in um, The Scout Mindset. A book that came out like six months ago. Yeah. That's just fun that you guys, you know, Julia Galev is a major figure in the community and you guys were five years ahead of a conclusion that... Well, it's... I mean, I think the Scout Mountain is a formalization of publishing of something which has been in her train of thought for a long time. Totally. I, I think but, that probably the, wasn't an original, like, Wes and Jay's thought. Um, I don't keep there was a lot of discussion. Like a Robin Hansen post from way back in the Yeah, day. and there was a lot of discussion around it. Um, like, there has been. Um, well, I'm going to give you guys at least, I don't know, half of a of uh, an original finding point each you know? <laughs> like you, you you can you can independently come across you know an idea that someone else also has i was just thinking that it was cool that uh Galef put forward a similar idea but yeah you're right this is not uh you know her conclusion after five years of thinking about stuff this is like i said an amalgamation a publicly consumable version of this stuff this has been kind of a, a background norm of the community one might say yeah yeah um the post kind of answers itself i noticed too like I think I could almost sum it up by saying, like, you, you know, when, um, as a writer, when you're trying to create an antagonist, uh, 
you take character traits like you make a really interesting villain if you take positive character traits and then just push them to the limit so like Mm -hmm. so you've got like a duke who is all about honor but then you just push that character trait so much that he's like doing things for honor that are unethical Mm -hmm. um or like so obsessed with it that it becomes fascism and so i think this post is saying we have these cool norms but if you take them way too much to an extreme and like live your life exclusively based on this then that can become really bad yeah and then like the thing that you have to do is grow up (laughs) it actually literally says at the end like maybe this is just growing up and i was like kind of nodding along like yeah i think that's what you're describing here Hmm. it's just uh maybe um people in the rationalist community are more like struggle with this more because it does tend to be a lot of like isolated people who just know about this community from the internet or people that were nerds and didn't really have the kind of experience of being part of history club or like the anime click or whatever the hell. Yeah. So I think you're definitely going to not definitely, but I think there's, it's it's very likely that people who have had a hard time finding a society will over identify and latch on really strongly to something. But Again, I think that's that's not a problem with the, the rationalism per se. It's the pro, uh, problem with of, communities. Yeah, and it's also the problem of having been had a kind of a shitty childhood uh, or adolescence where you didn't have very many people and you felt alone a lot. And it's great to have this community. And sure, you might overcorrect and try to overfit yourself to this group that that matches you very well. But like I said, it's it's like he said, it's a it's a process that starts out kind of cruddy but people get over it hopefully uh i guess maybe the the toxic problem is if a society encourages that and people discourages people from getting over it but i don't think that's rationalism Mm. i was gonna say the i think the failure mode is people like this is their first community uh they never you know had these experiences in middle school like my little pony club or whatever so Mm -hmm. you know like this is my religion you know these are my people this is and then you get disillusioned and then you drop out yeah, yeah, where I saw a lot of people do that, um, like people whose first community uh, was, let's say, the Steven Universe fandom mm. was really toxic mm. <laughs> to the point where um, I had friends that refused to watch the show because the fandom was so toxic. Oh, damn. And they, they associated the show with the fandom. And it's really funny because if anyone hasn't seen Steven Universe, it's this just like super wholesome mm-hmm. uh, and quite good animated TV series. I love it. Uh and the fandom so just glad. got so social justice-y that they, were, they became one of those groups that, like, you have to walk on eggshells around anyone because it was all just people calling each other out. <laughs> I'm so glad I never got involved in that fandom. I would have hated having my love for that thing ruined. For what it's worth, I'm basically in the camp of people who hasn't seen this show partly for that reason. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah, like, you know, and I could enjoy it in isolation and never go do anything about it, right? But some some of the fun is going to whatever r slash universe (laughs) and just seeing what you know people are saying about something or whatever right and if it's all calls to kill artists who drew characters too thin then it's like okay you know i think that i don't like the kind of people who like the show and then maybe i won't like it so i sort of just infer that i wouldn't like the show right i Um, i mean that's if that is your like you know your only experience with steven universe yeah Mm. then like you're probably like oh oh it's I really... mean, that, that that kept me off Rick and Morty for a while because the fandom was that whole, you know, doing the whole, you have to have a high IQ yeah. to understand Rick and Morty. And I was like, yeah, this show is probably just about a bunch of douchebags. And it is, but it's a really good show. I feel like, <laughs> I don't know, I must be some kind of weird person that disassociates the art from the artist a lot because, 
Like, I keep hearing things about people who won't read Ender's Game because Orson Scott Card <laughs> is a Mormon, and people who and won't anti-gay. watch... And anti-gay. And anti-gay, and uh, people who won't watch The Cosby Show because Bill Cosby's a rapist. Wait, people don't like Mormons now? Lots of people don't like Mormons. The church specifically is very anti-gay. I guess. I just figured, like... Like, if I don't you're, know. A lot, when was the last time I heard a Mormon causing a conflict? If you're an atheist, would, like, you want to read a fiction story written by somebody who's, like, deeply religious? I actually do, and I don't mind. Uh, I, I hear about people who won't read um, or who have trouble enjoying uh, things by Wildbo because he's kind of a <laughs> douchebag. <laughs> and, <laughs> In certain ways. And I just, like, it's it's weird. Like, I, I totally understand, like, okay, you see a convicted rapist on the screen. That's going to make comedy harder for you to enjoy, but I don't get that feeling, and I don't know why that is. And I think I'm the weird one here because everyone else seems to have it. I think there's a difference with like today I learned Orson Scott Card was Mormon, right? So like I can I can read the entire book and never know who wrote it or you know never know more beyond the name, right? I'm glad I read um, it as a kid before I knew that because that might have put me off from it too. If I if I went to go watch the Cosby Show, I think it would be hard not to feel a little bummed every time Cosby came on the screen mm-hmm. just because you know what's happening when the camera stops rolling, mm-hmm. and so. You know, you might still be able to appreciate the lessons that the show is getting across, but it's just like, uh, I can't, I can't come out of this feeling refreshed and wholesome because I know what's going on, you know, behind the, behind the set there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I haven't tried that experiment though. <laughs> I think I have a mix of both. Um, I don't know if I want to call them views or whatever philosophies. Uh, I mean, I, when you're going to invest time in a new book or a TV series, um, you want to have some knowledge going in generally, because there's so much media to consume. At least, like that's where I come from. God, there's so many books. I don't think I'll never read them all. I don't think there's any connection between who an artist is and the work they produce. I think there definitely is. I mean, there's some Orson Scott Card books that I didn't read because they were way like he, he dragged the religion into them. Even like. Yeah, but in that case... sequels to Ender's Game got more and more religious and, like, became less interesting to me. But in that... Yeah, those, in those cases, the work itself sucks. Like, so N.K. Jemison uh, is a pretty horrible person, and... Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, and the latest book she wrote is probably one of the most racist things I've read in decades. It's terrible. But she also wrote the fifth season, which is in, like, my top five books of all time. It's fucking amazing. It's a work of genius. She's a great writer, and just because she's awful doesn't mean... That's not one of the best books that has ever been put out there, in my opinion. So, like, whatever. I, I, I know a lot of people don't like, um, what's his name? The guy who writes Starship Troopers, Heinlein. Because he's, like, had weird sex stuff and, like, his political <laughs> opinions are all over the place. And I think he's changed his political opinions quite a few times in his life. But, like, I should hope. that doesn't make his, the works that he wrote when he had weird opinions bad or anything. It just makes them kind of weird and cool to read. I think I, yeah, I like there to be some information going in because I think that, I mean, like, who a person is and what they believe does influence the kind of art they make. And then there's some association between that and whether I'm going to be interested in it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing J.K. Rowling is a transphobe, that's sort of a bad example because I'm not really a huge fan of J.K. Rowling anyway. But, like, I think yeah. if, if all I read was Harry Potter and then, like, say she was, like, writing another... I don't know if she actually is. Uh, They're doing like, a YA. new movie. Oh. I saw a trailer for it. It has... Uh, Wait. Daniel Radcliffe and and all the OG actors. Is is it like a sequel? 
Yeah. In the Harry Potter universe. Yeah. Holy crap. Oh, like, welcome it's back based to... based on the really terrible play. I don't... Oh, I think it is called The Cursed Child. <gasps> oh, yeah. God. How are they going to adapt that? It is so bad. <laughs> I'm desperately curious, too. Can I... But I, don't I was just amazed it. they got back the I actual folks to do this. Everyone. All right. So... But I think the weirdest... Yeah, I think... I think um, I've already spoiled it. a great it. example, J.K. Rowling, that, like, people loved Harry Potter, and then, like... They disagree with her trans stuff. I don't even know where she falls anymore. And now they hate Harry Potter. I'm like, it's it should be completely separate. John C. Wright is a crazy well, fucking if, Catholic, like, but he wrote a great series of sci-fi. What I was going to say was if J.K. Rowling was writing, you know, like uh, another 12 or however goddamn many books of Harry Potter, mm-hmm. uh, I'd be way less interested in them knowing that, like... She's probably throwing a line about boys, boys, girls, and, and girls' bathrooms. Yeah, I don't know, like, uh, they did have gender segregated bathrooms in Hogwarts, and and magically gender segregated uh, dormitories. Like well, the stairs wouldn't that, uh, let you up if you were a guy into the women's dorm or into the girls' dormitory. I think oh, really? Not vice yeah. versa, though. Right, not vice versa. It only versa. kept guys out of the girls' yeah areas because never would the opposite be a problem. Now that said, reading that as a twelve-year-old, <laughs> I thought that was just kind of like a, a funny, cute thing, and you know, the asymmetry probably struck me. But you know, I was familiar with the movies from the eighties that involved panty raids and stuff, and I'd never heard of an underwear raid going the other way. So, like, I got where the trope was coming from. I didn't read anything into it. Um, really quick. Think- I, I was just going to... Do I think that there was some agenda there? Yeah. Probably I, well, not. not only... I don't think there was an agenda. I think that she wasn't necessarily wrong. Like, maybe symmetry would be great, but if you're only going to have it one way, keeping the guys out of Can the I, girls area is the more important one. I, I really loved the fact that Methods of Rationality pointed out the weird hypocrisy where the world of Harry Potter is apparently... There, there's no sexism and hasn't been because J.K. Rowling didn't want to like write a sexist world, but then it makes no fucking sense why like all of the political figures are male. Hmm. And, like, you mean like, like the one political figure, the prime minister? I mean, there's like the Wizen gamut, and uh, like the majority of the instructors. Like in Methods of Rationality, Harry or one of the characters, maybe it was Hermione, like pointed out they're like, "Hey, our society doesn't have sexism like Muggles, except then why does our society kind of look like it has sexism?" <laughs> did we, did we Rowling's? We, we need like, more. The thing is that she's not imaginative enough to write a convincing world where sexism doesn't exist. She gotcha. just says it doesn't exist. But then, like, you see stuff like gender segregation and uh, a male-dominated parliament. Yeah, it was, it was a kids' read, book. I, I didn't never read far enough in the series to know how the parliament was made up. I can't remember the OG was in Gamma either. I just remember also all the goblins are male. Oh, really? <laughs> Do they just not have females of the species, or they they didn't think are it, they like about Ferengi, it. where the females have to stay naked and hidden? <laughs> The, the thing is, that if if you're, I don't know. I just only remember like the two goblins. I think there was Grip Hook and maybe one other that I remember from the entire series. I think the all the house elves were male. <laughs> no, there was definitely a uh, female house elves. Winky was a main figure in the fourth one. Yeah, she was the one that worked for the Krauts. Oh, I didn't remember that one because she's in the movies. Yeah. Oh yeah, she wasn't in the movie. Um, yeah, there was a whole thing where yeah, that's that just was, count the number of male characters. <laughs> I mean, versus female. I'll never read the books again, but. I guess, really quick, I was actually going to zoom back out. How do we get on the subject in the first place about authors and art and that sort of thing? Um, well, we c- I know a way to segue it back in. Be small, I think. Yeah. We, we kept, we got, I, I don't know if our identities were big or small in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> well, they were the only thing of importance in the room, so I think maybe they got a bit big. No, it was fun, though. Okay. I was just curious. I couldn't, because I looked back at the notes of like the, the things we pulled out of the dock, and I'm like, how, how did we get on this? You said you're, you had a way to pull us back out? Yeah, one of the things they mention is art. That uh, some people in the rationality community 
are afraid to do weird art. Okay, so this was a weird ass thing that like I had made no sense to me at all. Um, yeah, he starts he starts by saying that uh, the, the people in the movement can feel that it's like it's unethical or kind of dirty to perform behavior your peers would be think distasteful, uh, and they aren't like contrary to explicit values. They just don't feel in the group aesthetic. And then he says, "Yeah, rationality is big, is cool, which is great. Becomes through a series of steps. It's uncool if you want to spend a lot of time doing stuff that has nothing with testable beliefs or our favorite issues." And uh, he you says, "Don't think you've seen that." What? what? You don't. You don't think you've seen that bottom of the uh, slippery slope there? Because I, I don't think I have. I haven't. I, I have. You have, or at least it's something I've struggled with. When uh, I first got into rationality, I was working at a video games company as largely an artist, and uh, one of my favorite hobbies is like drawing comics and writing. And I did end up shifting towards a STEM career, um, but like I have a really hard time even now, like justifying spending time writing or drawing. <laughs> Uh, as a hobby less so because i like notice my confusion and then like struggle with that uh huh and again i think i can justify that with <laughs> do the, the thing i'm not supposed to do by like using rationalist dragon to justify it but like it's sort of the same thing with uh you know eas can't actually live in basically poverty like giving everything and spending all of their mental energy on that it's just not how humans work and they don't thrive like that yeah uh you will burn out if you just spend all of your time trying to earn to give and not doing anything hedonistic. Same thing with, like, having hobbies. It's important as a human. And also art can be a form of communication and, like, a way to process your emotions. So it's super rational to do art and valuable. Interesting, yeah. Sorry, Sasha. Sasha's quote was... (laughs) Justifying my thing with rationalist framework. A few rationalists have told me that they feel like they shouldn't make weird art because it's dumb and unrationalist to do so. And you're saying you feel that way too. Yeah, it's it's hard not, like, you know... It it takes, like, hours, like, maybe, like, 12 hours sometimes to do, like, a really cool Photoshop. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... There definitely are times where I've just been like working on a thing for fun for, and I'm sitting there for hours, you know, tweaking pixels and being like, why the hell am I doing this? I could be doing something productive. That is something productive. You're producing a piece of art. But like, maybe one that no one will ever see. You're getting better at producing art. Maybe someone will see it. Yeah. I mean, like, those are the thoughts that I have to have to counter the like negative, you know. But 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 I'm, I can I can see why people would think that. Like, I don't know. Say that you. I'd, I, I'm, I'm glad that we brought this up and that you're saying this because when I read that, I was like, that's ridiculous. I didn't somebody put a note, what the fuck, really? Yeah, that, that was my note. Yeah, because, I mean, <laughs> one of the, the most famous works of rationalism is a Harry Potter fanfic. Right. But see, I, think, I, I, I was going to bring that up, and I, I wonder if that actually counts as a piece of weird art because okay. that was, like, directed towards the goal of getting more people into this sort of thing. And it, it had it had a an explicit... One, it like, was instrumentally higher, higher, yeah. higher level goal, but then the like candle has no higher level goal. No, not really. But you know, I mean, well, I, I, I haven't finished it yet. But the like, m- maybe Alexander Wales isn't Elias Yudkowsky in the community, right? But like Yudkowsky also, so H P M R aside, he also. He, but but Yudkowsky also wrote like the girl ruined by the internet is the is this chosen savior. Right. He wrote <laughs> True Love's Kiss yeah, and yeah. like you know other sort random shit yeah. that like i don't think is that you can make a case that is rationalist art or whatever yeah um like it's just fun mm-hmm. and so i it seems weird that like one might struggle with like how how can i spend my time unproductively let me let me look to the 
to the elders of my community and then you observe <laughs> crazy issues. yeah you, and it's like okay well they're granted they do a lot with the time that they do engage scott you alexander know. writes so fucking much and he was like writing mm-hmm. slate story codex when he had a i think full-time like psychiatrist job and uh, was writing unsung at the same time i know I, his productivity is through the roof and it angers me somewhat <laughs> i mean like i'm glad he exists and that he has that work ethic but man if i like was just comparing myself to him <laughs> i i mean if people are getting the feeling that they shouldn't do things it just sucks strikes me as such a weird thing i don't know where they're getting that apparently i guess i mean one of the co-hosts of the show got that impression so it's got to be somewhere out there but it feels i think it's a universal really common thing though the same way that all of this is with communities like again if you're making your whole identity the my little pony community Mm -hmm. (laughs) in middle school uh you might start to feel bad about watching another show Hmm. um because it's like oh none of my peers um like ninja turtles or whatever the hell Mm -hmm. and so i like can't really talk to them about this and it's not it's like violent and it's against you know the tenets of my little pony which is all about friendship and conflict management you might certainly feel guilty for spending you know 60 hours writing a uh Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan fiction, yeah, where it's like I I thought my life was about ponies, right? Um, yeah, I, I can see that example. I think it also, like I said, or like you said, works for um, any other group that people are getting just newly invested in. One that has cultural norms, rather, not just like a community. You know, if you if you go to the well, depending on how into the gym you get, that also is a thing, right? Um, you know, how do you? What do you mean off days? What do you mean you only go four days a week? You know, like. I could see where that could get toxic at the extremes. Um, my my example of this is again sci-fi lit because I I want to write something good and when it's flowing and coming more good things, Inyash. I won't let you say that you haven't written anything good. <laughs> okay, well when it's it's when it's flowing and it's coming out, it's great. But sometimes sometimes you just get hung up for weeks at a time. And a different post that Sasha re- wrote because I read through some of the stuff after finding this was that like. If you're having trouble being creative, uh, the problem is you're lying to yourself. You're writing what you think you should write, and that's labor, and it's hard, and you'll resist it. Just write what you love writing. And I'm like, yeah, I guess so, because I, I, there's there's things I want to write that are just fucking fun, but like they don't have any status to them. They aren't exploring deeper issues or the next ideas. American. Like you know, get the great American novel. Writing Amazing Man Two was fun as all fuck, but it's not gonna win any sort of literature prizes. And uh, and every now and then you're like, well, I, you know, I want to just have like some explosions or boobs or something here, but that that would not be great literature. So I can't do that. And I I think once you write people the boob get explosion off, in your first draft, and then you just like cut it cut out. It out. <laughs> I think when people have get over themselves and just start writing what they love to write it comes a lot easier and you know and that stuff is still really fun i read hard luck hank recently which was just boobs and explosions of the pg-13 variety it was fucking fun as hell i mean there's like i think there's something to be said for that but also i think that it's cool to make aspirational art too but like i also i've never gotten the impression from the sci-fi lit community no one's ever said oh you know it's dumb and anti-sci-fi just to write fun shoot 'em up things. You shouldn't do that. There's but... definitely a market for it too. Like and there's a I think that's where people that have that philosophy, uh, like if you look at 
Fifty Shades of Grey was mm. originally a Twilight fanfic, which was a book that wasn't that was basically fanfic quality to start with. <laughs> and then all you had to do is just change the names, and it's like massively successful and popular. So like, I think yeah, there's a place for both like cool entertainment and then also like works that require lots of research and some hard work. But I think the fact that that there was no such norm explicitly stated, but I still internalized it to the point where it was hard for me to. It's hard to turn that filter off. Yeah. That's why. So, I mean, I kind of get what he's saying, but also, like, that's not really the community's fault in so much as it's my fault for being a pretentious prat. Mm, I mean, I think that writing, there is the whole concept of, like, writing the next great American novel, and the there's definitely a difference of status between published novels and fanfic. Mm-hmm. So, I think the society, the community, the culture rubbed off on you. That's not your own failing there. But it's also not the failing of the general broader sci-fi community. Well, every like all writers struggle with that. I mean, there was a rat fic that I think was uh, an alicorn one called Earth Fic, mm-hmm. where yeah, that the, the one where I just flipped uh, that like writing, basically writing like fanfic was high status, mm-hmm. and the main character was writing what they called Earth Fic, which was like I think just like sort of slice of life, maybe like like. Uh, pretentious literature liter- yeah. yeah and everybody's just like oh i can't believe you're writing that trash you know mm-hmm. like you're never gonna get published mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean you know if you have fun writing what you have fun writing and you have aspirations to be you know an esteemed author right and so you know yes part part of that endeavor is going to feel like work because that's the the goal there isn't like just have fun writing whatever I want. It's to write a book for consumption by people who will give this, you know, accolades, right? Yeah, but I think that's ultimately a bad goal. The goal should be just have fun writing whatever you want. I agree to some extent, but you also like want to make money doing this too, right? Like, I have given ideally, up on that particular <laughs> idea. Well, I, I guess I don't know. I, I you don't want to talk say, you into you like, want to get published. Doing something, yeah, I don't want to talk into doing something that you hate doing. But if. Uh, I guess I'm just thinking, like, in the broad scope, like, sometimes you have a goal that is not about having fun all the time the whole way there, right? Yeah. Um, and it... Art it, is a pain in the ass. It definitely can be, Like right? I said, spending hours tweaking pixels, like, there's there's parts of art that I hate. I mean, like, it, it's kind of a love-hate thing when you, like, get good enough at it, but, like, I don't know, like, if, you're, if you love woodworking, too, there's also going to be parts of that that you hate, like, mm. I think that... I notice I keep kind of coming into everything in the middle or like both and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and but like I support the middle way and I think I just want to reiterate yeah, I think that there's validity to just you know write what you love and don't worry about it being dumb or whatever but then like I, I don't want to discourage people who do really want to write an epic fantasy and do lots of research into Nordic civilization to base their elves off of and get really into like plot structures and whatnot yeah i mean the the stories i really like reading are the kind of uh, rat fic or just smart fiction like you were talking about worth the candle Mm -hmm. um there was another one you brought up the oh like wild bow stuff um unsung or like like, things that aren't explicitly rat fic but are the kinds of things that are like really enjoyed by this community Mm -hmm. whether or not they're that there's a goal to them yeah like a Methods of rationality was sort of a yeah try, trying to teach people the sequences in a in the form of fanfic, whereas like worth the candle is more of just Alexander Wales experimenting with 
realize that <laughs> I shouldn't spoil it because. <laughs> well, in the interest of not spoiling it, shall we move on? Yeah, where were we? <laughs> um, he was toxic, toxic norms. <laughs> yeah, let, let's talk about kind of what toxic norms are um, in the broad scope because I feel like his definition was interesting, and I don't I don't disagree with it. But it's not what I, if you'd asked me to define a toxic norm, toxic norm, it's not what I would have given. You're saying uh, his definition of a toxic norm is any rule where following it makes you feel like large parts of you are bad. Yeah, hmm. I, I like that, and I don't quite know what I would have said if you'd asked me you know, last week, what do you think a toxic norm is? Um, I might have said one that like, um, you know, an immediate leap towards hostility or, or uncharity or something like that. Right. Um, but maybe that's just from a certain point of view. I think, uh, um, I think that's a pretty good definition. I think it is too. Like I said, it's just not the one I would have thought. I of. think a, a toxic norm is like something that would constrain you from behaving the way that you normally would in a way that you don't endorse because, uh, I like the norms being there to constrain me in ways that I want. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, our um, last episode about the procrastination equation reminded me of how useful that was, and I ended up using it again. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that... And, uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> and we, I was going to say, and like things like um, accountability. We had a thing where uh, you were going to be running for at least 10 minutes, at least, what, was it five times between then and now? Uh, I forget if it was five or six, but I ran five days a week the last two weeks and so, i have photographic evidence so 10 times total yeah god damn and uh yeah i want to get back well the, the point was i just wanted to get back in the habit but uh i have just been i'm adding five minutes so i'm at 15 on monday i'm gonna do 20 minutes and i've been increasing the speed a bit and i want to get back to like the point where i was before i got really out of shape like two years ago <laughs> where i could run for 30 minutes and do that like daily because i think that was like my best like my peak mental health (laughs) period congratulations when i had that regularity and exercise turns out blood flow is good for your brain yes that's awesome yeah i I liked getting your your status updates on that because it's great seeing somebody succeed right Mm. and i love being in a community where i like where that idea of like accountability and positive peer pressure is something that we think is cool Mm -hmm. um and then, like, but a toxic version of that might be, let me see if I can think of one. Um, well, he gives examples yeah. of what he thinks the toxic norms are, if you want to. Well, okay, his examples are the EA versions thinking you're evil if your soul slash body slash emotions are crying out for you to relax, slack off a bit, and spend money on yourself, because you ought to be spending every possible moment working on human flourishing. And a rationalist version is thinking that you're stupid and not worth talking to if you yearn for the spiritual slash aesthetic slash woo slash non-justifiable, or if you haven't been able to come to grips with your issues through rational means, which, again, I'm kind of gritting my teeth as I'm reading that, because I kind of, yeah. This leads to emotional damage being ignored, intuition being dismissed, and systematizing being preferred inappropriately above all other modes of thinking and feeling. I still find myself of two minds here, where on one hand, I'm like, if I'm still manning it, it's like, you can't like art or poetry, and you shouldn't do therapy because you should just be able to think your way out of your depression. No one says that, though. Yeah, I think that they're... Or if someone does say that, they're doing it wrong. Yeah, like, I think that this is saying, like, the straw Vulcan ideal. Um, but the straw Vulcan isn't an ideal. can be something that people fall into, but, like, I don't yeah, know. I guess some people could fall into it, but we should help them not fall into that and be like, hey, this is a bad ideal. 
Yeah, I, the, the thing... Which is kind of what we're doing on this podcast right now. I like that this was something we talked about, and I do think it's something we can improve at as mm-hmm. a community, but I also, like, keep, like, gritting my teeth at sentences, like, if you yearn for the, you know, spiritual woo, non-justifiable, and I'm kind of like, but what does that mean? Does that mean that you like to watch, like, Marvel movies, or does that mean that you, you know, uh, think that there's a god? I'm per- yeah, <laughs> like right? a, a deist or something. There, there, yeah. There's, there's differences in scope here. Like, do, do you believe that the Pope talks to Jesus or something? That's, that's an issue. Whereas, like, he actually included if you yearn for the aesthetic. I'm like, what the? F- I yearn for the aesthetic. I think it's very yeah, important it, in my life. That's and it's also instrumental. Like, uh, and that's why, like, I keep you know doing the the thing that he says not to do. But like, the whole idea of, for example, like emotions are bad and you should be able to think your way out of depression instead of doing therapy i'm like i'm doing emdr therapy where i follow a dot going back and forth on my screen while i talk about my childhood traumas and there's a reason that it works (laughs) like you're shifting the hemispheres of your brain and like getting those you know spinning wheels that are off separate connected to the rest of the nodal network of your brain i mean i'm i'm not using neurological terminology here but it kind of ties back into the idea of the brain network slash clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I think like, it works it, like, because of real, you know, physical attributes of the world. And I can be like, my goal is to not be depressed. And then I can do this systematized method that involves a bunch of emotions that are totally rational. And it works in a way that praying doesn't. <laughs> I think importantly, even if you had no idea how it worked, even if like, so, you know, the practitioners didn't know why it worked and it did. They're like, hey, we noticed that if you move your eyes back and forth, or if you tap your shoulders alternately to a slow rhythm while talking about this stuff, that helps. Like, even if they had no idea why that was the case, it wouldn't matter about the results. I guess what's interesting, so I guess two things. One, I've never encountered more support and endorsement for therapy than I have in the rationalist community. Hmm. Again, I'm not involved in that many other communities, but like everyone here is super cool about it. And um, psychology or fields of science that we know things about. So like, I, it almost feels like this is an outdated you know, argument. It was written a few weeks ago. So, so what brings that to mind, that brings me to the second point though, is that I think that he's not saying that this is, that these are the norms. He's saying that these are the toxic versions of the norms that some people have and that some people might fall into an accident. Right. So like, you know, if I'm some, you know, uh, star eyed, you know, young new entrant into the rationalist community, I might think that this, this should have all the solutions to all my problems. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, no, actually you got to go, Talk about your feelings with the doctor and take pills that'll make you feel better instead, right? Like, you might think, well, then I thought the tools of rationality were supposed to be all that I needed. Like, mm-hmm. so I can see how that might happen. I guess it's a good reminder to look out for those sorts of people and help them out and be like, this is not the be all end all everything. This is just another good tool. Yeah. And look at that for yourself, too. You know, if you're feeling bad about watching whatever it is that you like to watch or, you know, spending time making art that isn't enhancing the world in a rationally productive way or something like give yourself a pass and say, I'm having fun. And that, that matters. You know, there was a rationalist adjacent person who once made a video called shit rationalists say, (laughs) and at the very end of it, the, the last thing the rationalists say was because it's fun, which I think is pretty darn important. Like lots of times the justification is just cause it's fun. And that's more than enough. What other justification do you need? And fun is instrumental because it, you know, elevates your happiness hormones and sure, but <laughs> creates who cares about yeah, that? The point is that it's fun. Uh, I would, I would want this to be um, 
an essay that someone saw if they were like new to this community. Like, I feel like this is important and it has a place. I think the reason I keep pushing against it, like one of the reasons internally is that I feel like as the rationalist community is so good as a community at, at looking at itself, the lens that views itself. Mm. I've already seen this argument a bunch of times or not argument, but like, you know, people in the rationalist community are concerned about the straw Vulcan thing. And they've talked about it to death. I think that like, you know, here's the failure mode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and same with EAs. It's like, that's why I was saying it feels like a bit of an outdated argument. Like, I'm like one of the major issues that, that like people talk about all the time in the EA community is the idea of burnout mm. and the like, you know, I, I, idea that you need to put on your own oxygen mask first. You need to like have a relatively like stable, happy place yourself in order to help others. And that's not a new idea. <laughs> uh so he does he the thing you were just uh doing earlier and calling out multiple times says one sign of toxic social norms <laughs> is if your behavior does deviate from the standard you feel the only way of saving face is through explaining your behavior via the group values i think that's just that's just you should people should stop doing that they can just say i like to do this thing because i like it i like to analyze everything that i do <laughs> very well i will not stop you from doing that if that is what you like i haven't it's not like I haven't been doing that my whole life, though. Like before, I knew about rationality. Yeah, <laughs> I was like coming up with theorems about different things in like my school textbooks, <laughs> the margins. <laughs> See, that just seems like a Jace thing to do, though. You're not doing that because you feel like it makes you a good rationalist. It's literally fun to analyze. Things. Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I do like literary analyses for fun sometimes. I mean, I do literary analysis for fun every week. I know. I'm, a certain Stephen. I'm so oh, yeah. glad that I'm in this community of people that find that fun because I was always the weirdo that was like, I'm going to write an essay about this book I just read like mm -hmm. for school. No, because it was an interesting book. Yeah, for me. <laughs> weirdo. So, <laughs> <laughs> Sasha does have a couple caveats. The first one uh, is that I pulled out is that he says EAs and rationalists are probably less toxic than the average group. And a lot of their principles are great. These groups are just the ones I'm most familiar with right now. So that was why he put that in. And that's why we also talked about like the anime group and the sci-fi lit groups. Yeah. And I, I do think that it's possible that EAs and rationalists might be especially susceptible uh, to these kinds of social norms. Again, just because like this might be someone's first community. I know that a lot of people Maybe it's just attracted thing. to these communities did like sort of grow up being the weirdo that was yeah. socially isolated. And I mean, um, if, if you haven't, you know, been in the middle school my little pony club or like etc etc and, and seen here's the ways that like social norms can flip around on themselves and become bad like ones that you think are great uh like charity uh becomes bad when it's like you're giving away so much that you're harming yourself yeah. or doing it to the exclusion of other things i think this could be could be this could be a common failure mode for any group that is uh mostly young nerds yeah, and then the other thing is that rationality and EA both have these very lofty goals mm -hmm. that, that has concerned a lot of people about, like the the ways that like less wrong and uh, yeah, mostly just less wrong, I guess, like is cult like because it's like the goal of the rationalist community is to save the world from AI, mm -hmm. <laughs> and the goal of EA is to save the world. <laughs> yeah. So it's sort of it, it. I think it can put huge pressure on people more so than like you know the my little pony community's goal is like be friends or whatever like be nice yeah. uh memorize the names of all the ponies or whatever like uh I'm... 
so I could see, yeah, first of all, like someone who's like, this is their first community. They're like young and nerdy and might've been socially isolated. And then they joined a group that's like, we're saving the world <laughs> and, and you can be a part of it, but you have to, uh, yeah, that's, that's some extra pressure there. <laughs> I, and I don't know, personally, I think that the ranchless uh, community group has drifted a bit. Like, I think that save the world from AI is a very close second and it almost feels to me like the primary rationalist goal now is make the world, make the human race better by, you know, helping them be more rational. Through friendship and ponies. Through friendship and ponies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, that whole, that secondary goal sounds great until we get wiped out and turned into paper clips. So, well, like, yeah. I think, <laughs> I mean, and then I, you're I, like, oh, it should have been the first goal after all. But that's the exact line of thinking that could make somebody, you know, fall prey to these toxic norms. Right. I, I guess. I feel like there's too much to cover here for me just to give like my final thought on it. This, you know, cause I, I, I mean, I'll just put it out there, but my, I, I don't know. I guess I've been totally fine with half-assing my contributions to, and my involvement with the EA and rationalist communities and lifestyles. Mm-hmm. Um, I give money in an effective way. I don't give as much money as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, I co I'm one third of a co of a, podcast that's sort of rationalist depending on who you ask Mm -hmm. um and that's about it but like i guess that might just be my predisposition with how i interact with stuff and so i don't know if i'm in the best position to like analyze the problem modes that these sort of things have um i can see i think the the, i'm glad he keeps bringing up ea because there is like an obvious bad way that that goes right um you know if if someone says okay i'm going to hate my life and i'm going to go become like an investment you know, banker or hedge fund manager, make a bunch of money so I can donate a ton of it. Um, and it turns out that they hate their life and they stop after like two years. Well then, you know, if you were going to do it for 40, even if you're only going to make 80% as much, if you stop after two years, well, you've, we've basically, you've not given basically everything you could have given if you just hadn't done it the, the wrong way to start out with. Right. Mm. So like there, there is an obvious failure mode for that. Um, but I feel like that's an owned and accepted problem and like an addressed problem. Like, it's not like this is what effective altruists are advocating for. Um, I can still see, though, how one might get have have an awareness of the community and still feel bad about it, right? You know, man, how do I justify buying a $100 pair of shoes? Mm-hmm. You know, like that that is, you know, I, there's a perfectly serviceable $25 pair of shoes here. And, you know, sure, they'll fall apart, but, you know, it's whatever. Like, I can, I can imagine how that people might struggle with that. So... Yeah, I should have formulated my final thoughts before I started them. My my short answer is like, just don't, like, don't worry about it. <laughs> I, I mean, wish. so I, I, the, I'm one of those people that struggles with that. Like, I have a ton of guilt about buying things. I would never buy a hundred dollar pair of shoes. I I buy clothes secondhand. Like, I do that, but the, not like, because I have guilt. I just have other things I'd rather spend the money on. <laughs> well, uh, I have like a ton of guilt about not being vegan. I think mm. that vegans are better people than me. <laughs> mm. uh, if I were a better person, I'd have more willpower or whatever. But like, that sounds like a toxic norm. Yeah, I mean, like, I I have a bunch of unendorsed thoughts that I, you know, as just someone with anxiety and depression, uh, you, I mean, learning rationality helped me be able to deal with that. Uh, but also, I don't know. I, I I sort of question how much I've, I've fallen prey to the toxic norms myself. Like. I did quit a you know job as a game designer for Disney to move into a STEM field because I wanted to have a more impactful career. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of like, what was my real reason there? 
I think, and I, I think it was genuine interest in science and genuine like wanting. Uh, well, and if you wanted to make, have a career, but I don't where you know. Made I might just be lying to myself. I, like it, it's really interesting that like when my in group became like STEM people, I shifted towards STEM, and it felt like it was my own decision, and maybe it was. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's the sort of thing where like again. I mentioned how, or I can't remember if this was on the air or not, but like my wife's, uh, her, her line of work is because her second roommate in college did that. And like, thing, things just sort of happen. And, uh, I think, you know, if the people around you are all in STEM fields and you're like, oh, that does look like fun. Like, that's a perfectly natural way for things to go. And if you want to have a, a career where like you have more of an impact or something, I think that's also a perfectly natural inclination that a lot of people have. I went into art because um, I didn't think I was smart enough. And, like, basically, I was told growing up, you know, like, you're a girl, like, rockets are for boys. Art takes a lot of smarts. I, I mean, I took optics for artists and yeah, <laughs> talked about see. that shit. But the thing is that it's just, like, the, the stereotypes and the people I was around. Yeah, you had, uh, you had bad influences growing up, and I'm glad you've over... You're, you've uh, like basically given them, the, given them all the finger. And, sounds like your norms were more toxic before. But, yeah, I, I, maybe. I, 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 like, if people were telling you that girls can't do rockets that's bullshit i guess i'm trying to think of like um getting into rationality was what like convinced me that i could uh go into a stem field and be successful like i used to actually like have this deeply internalized i'm an art person i'm bad at math you know like i'm already good at this and i've sunk all this like time and energy into training it so i should just do that (laughs) but also like i i like video games and i like art and writing and i'm intrinsically motivated by those too and i think they're useful and so maybe, I don't know, um, my real suspicion is just that I get really bored and I change careers every two or three years. <laughs> <laughs> it's ADD, that's all. <laughs> he uh, Did I also say that one of the caveats was these notes from Toxic for Everyone? Uh, no, you didn't uh, mention that one, but oh, yeah. The, the other caveat he lays out is that these norms aren't toxic for everyone. There are people who, in fact, are happiest when they're entirely or almost entirely devoted to the fancy intellectual principles of a specialized group. Which reminded me of uh, Ayla's Otters vs. Possums post uh, from, I don't even know how long ago it was, but it was a while ago now, that, where she draws this uh, this distinction between possum people and otter people, where possums are people who like a specific culture, and just being a welcoming community is insufficient to give them a sense of belonging. Uh, they, they need some specific culture and uh, with some sort of goals and norms, whereas otters are people who like most cultures. They can find a way to get along with anybody and don't have specific standards, and they're widely tolerant. And because of this, communities tend to acquire otters faster than possums. Because, you know, otters will go anywhere, but possums are really selective, uh, so uh, otters will overtake it. Gradually, the community grows dilute as uh, otters start entering who don't share the possum goals, even a little bit. Or even start poss- inviting possum friends with rival goals. Urgh. Like people who actively dislike rational practices being invited into rationalist servers. Uh, possums then realize the community culture is not what it used to be and not what they want. So they try to moderate. And or they be- leave. Or they leave, which yeah. Which is upsetting. Yeah, either and both can happen. Otters like each other, and so kicking an otter out makes the other otters really unhappy. And, you know, it's, it's just it's a difference with how people are. In, in Otterland, everyone is welcome no matter who they are, and it takes a serious offense to get rejected. But in Possumland, just not sharing the core culture is all it really takes to get kicked out because, you know, that's that's what the area is about. And it's not considered a grievous offense if you're kicked out. And uh, they, they it even says they, uh, Ayla says that they think the people they kick out are great and would love to interact with them in every context outside of Possumland. 
And I don't know, this kind of seems like it might be related. Maybe Sasha is talking to a lot of people who got into the rationalist community by kind of sort of being um, a fit, but not quite. And then, and then finding these conflicts and problems that made them unhappy uh, while the people who are really very well served by it are a minority and are like, why, why are you trying to change everything that makes us happy and makes this community what it is? I think that's really relevant actually. Um, I mean, our local rationalist group is composed of some people who just like found rationality on their own, but then there's the people that just listened to the podcast, mm. uh, the methods of rationality podcast mm. and show up to talk about like video games and movies and, are the kind of people who, like, I would say they're rational people, but they're not, like, some of them haven't read the sequences. Some of them are friends or significant others of people that come to the group and just come there for the community. And Actually, uh, I think the majority of people in our Less Wrong group now have not read the sequences. Hmm. Maybe not more than a handful of posts. I don't really know how I feel about that. Hmm. Like, on one hand, I'm kind of, again, the, the like... It's hard to draw a fine line between the positive and the toxic norms. Mm. Some of them are just norms, but like, I, I sort of like the idea of, or, or I'm, I'm like, if you say the map is not the territory, they'll know what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, okay, I can bring that around to something. Um, Charlie and I are talking about like Charlie dislikes it when people use rationalist dragon mm -hmm. uh, without explaining what they're talking about, and the fact that like our less wrong group is. A, like social hangout group because charlie says they wanted there to be like a group of people teaching and practicing rationalist techniques i guess um and i'm kind of i kind of came back with like i i want that to be a thing too but also i don't want to ban ra rationalist terminology in case it scares away new people because it's like, if you I'm say there. something's a Moloch, and then someone else understands what that means, you don't have to read an essay that's a novella length. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's that's valuable, and that's, like, sort of... The, the reason that Dragon exists is that you're shortening a, a big concept to a phrase, and then you can talk about big concepts easily. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, there's some in-group signaling stuff. Which is also valuable if you want to have a group that you're in with. Mm -hmm. I think I am worried about the whole idea of otters coming in and just diluting a culture but um but i also am uncomfortable with like banned people who haven't read the sequences from coming to less wrong meetups i mean i don't, we haven't banned anybody for, yeah. for that anyway and i think that's good and i think lots of times people will just uh we got a lot of people that only show up one time uh they're like people who found us at meetup.com and like oh rationalist that sounds like an interesting thing i wonder what that is and they come and they're like okay, these people are talking about a bunch of jargon I don't understand and I don't really want to read all these posts and they don't come back and that's okay. We haven't banned anyone. They just didn't fit with the culture and that's fine. Yeah, luckily we haven't had to ban anyone. We have very low drama in our group. Thank the stars. I think a lot of... I mean, okay, I know that there's more drama in the Bay, but... <laughs> just in general. <laughs> other, I don't know, like Philly, New York, um, rationalist communities that I've seen, people that I've met from other communities. That it seems like there's actually sort of a norm <laughs> in rationalist spheres of being low drama, mm -hmm. uh, which is cool. We ain't got no time for that shit, unless we're living in San Francisco, in which case that's all you got time for, it sounds like. But I could be wrong. That is just what I get from half the country away. You know, maybe I can't think of a way to torture the analogy into this, but like... I don't really have a problem with, you know, otters showing up if they hear about it and they're curious and, you know, if they have fun, they can 
put on their possum hats and hang out with us or they can, you know, say this isn't my cup of tea and leave. Like that's, that's fine by me. Um, I recently became aware that apparently discord lets you like search for discords that find your interest or something. I think you have to make them a community discord first. Yeah. Yeah. And we you have and not opted into that. The, that's the thing is that the size for that was apparently lowered to like a thousand mm-hmm. of which the Beijing conspiracy discord fits that we could make ourselves a community findable thing. Yeah. And I'm, I, my immediate inclination is no, I'm good. No. Yeah. Like I like the, the filter bubble that you have to be at least X nerdy to find this. <laughs> yes. And then that way we're not going to just be, you know, there won't Flooded be like a, randos. well, and then, or, you know, ex- like people who are deliberately looking for those fucking rationalists so they can go yell at them. Well, they could find us maybe without that much effort if they're really de- motivated. But the other thing is just like, I want to have like a, Hey, welcome to the thing. Here's the, oh, right. you know, Here's the, community the, guidelines. The, the, well, and like the, the sign this waiver, the Lord of the Rings do. trilogy, long <laughs> list of things that you should read to be able to follow conversations here. Like not nah, just, I, I, I don't have an, like, an impulse for our little corner of the community to grow. Um, my, my desire for that doesn't outweigh my desire to not have to work to make the community <laughs> do stuff. So I'm, I'm fine with it at the level that it's at. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's kind of, I think, where I'm at when I was saying, like, I'm a little concerned about the idea of, like, the community getting diluted to the point where it disappears. And then also, but I wouldn't want to ban people who haven't heard the sequences. And I think it's kind of um, a self-policing problem in that way. Yeah. Uh, so I got, I guess, one last thing to pull out of the um, essay as a whole, and then kind of the summary bit at the end, if we have time and energy for that. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the thing that I wanted to pull out that struck me as very interesting was uh, he has an aside where he says uh, basically everything he's been talking about here about toxic norms and... and um, people not fitting he says this is what post-rationalists are it's not that complicated they don't have explicit principles because they've moved on from thinking that life is entirely about explicit principles <laughs> with that last part in italics and wasn't that directed at Elias yudkowsky also He's it like, was Listen, yudkowsky <laughs> yes it was I, uh, I i wasn't sure we needed direct call outs to start flame wars but yeah he did I drop that name okay and I, 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 don't, I didn't know the background context for that. Did Yukowski tweet out like what are post rationalists question mark? Like No, was... but I mean there's for a while there's just been like a general confusion in his mind about what the fuck is going on with these post rationalists, which I kind of mirror uh as yeah, well. Yeah, like the fact that there's a bunch of wizards here now and uh <laughs> there's there was somebody in the bay that was teaching a class on chakras. Oh my god. Not but not a rationalist. No, in the rationalist community, oh, but they my were trying God. to use a framework to say that, like, well, it's a useful metaphor for, and that was where I, like, started being like, uh, most, I, Well, it's not this person's fault, it's the other people's fault for going to their class, but, like, from what I can tell, if, so, sorry, let's go ahead and just say what post-rationalists are, because, honestly, I think he's describing Julia Galef, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I mean, it's not, so, that, it's, not it's not that she doesn't have principles, but it's like, Okay, well, she, she she doesn't have these these toxic values. Yeah, I think he's like, or these building an norms. explicit straw man when he says that because yeah, he says that that post rationalist moved on from thinking that life is entirely about explicit principles. And I mean, my two comments are: first of all, I think explicit principles are super important, and everyone should have some. But I agree that thinking all life is entirely about explicit principles is dumb, and people shouldn't think that. But anyone who does think that and thinks that's what rationally is is also dumb and wrong like there's there's the, rationality is not about saying life is entirely about explicit principles that's that is i mean he's just created like a straw burning man vulcan if, if someone if someone wanted to be uncharitable to sasha 
to this post, we could say, you know, Sasha is an example of what someone looks like when they've moved on from like the norms of like engaging with your with your uh, mm-hmm. audience directly and not being, you know, not not erecting straw men, right? I mean, and, um, and I've she- moved on from thinking that straw men are bad. <laughs> like, and I'm and I'm I'm being uh, I'm throwing shade on purpose. I think this is a well written post, and I think Sasha is smart, but I. I'm saying like this one say, particular line. Well, they've moved on from thinking that life is well, first of all, they've moved on from make it sound like they've transcended this obviously wrong thing. Right. right? Which is so, what rationalists actually believe. I'm like, mm, fuck you. So, but then the other thing is like that life In is entirely way. about explicit principles. Mm-hmm. I don't know anyone who says that or who thinks that. And I've, I've read more than the average person's read of philosophy. Like, you know, you, you have to get really into the esoteric before someone says something that stupid. Yeah. And so I, it sucks because the rest of this is well written, and I just don't know quite where. Why was this, this in here? This this one line, I would, I would like it. I, w- I wish it had had more. Because um, everything more, else is good. I, I, I wish there was more support or explanation behind this because it's like this is what post rationalists are, and then gives some insane thing that no one ever thought, and it's like, oh, okay, so literally everybody. EY replied like, like to Yudkowsky's. Oh, did he reply to this? He replied to this in a tweet. He said, uh, I used to be a cyberpunk, but then I realized big corporate profits weren't always good for the little people. Now I'm a post-cyberpunk. <laughs> <laughs> Which anyone familiar with cyberpunk is laughing right now. And he says, yeah, I have a similar story. One day I realized human beings were often pretty bad at explicit reasoning, and now I'm a post-rationalist. <laughs> I-, I love the analogy because it's perfect. And well, and I didn't know, I wasn't aware of those responses. And it sucks because they're perfectly appropriate to that, how bad that line is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like if he had said, look, here's what post rationalists are. Cause I, I think I could think of a, an example that doesn't suck. And I don't know what I haven't, I'm not familiar with the term. Maybe it's a thing that's out there. Maybe they've got their own subreddit. I don't know. But mm-hmm. like, you know, it could be, I used to be super into rationality. I used to be like the person who not just read all the sequences, but read all the other posts, found the other blogs. I spend a minimum of four hours a day reading this stuff and, you know, whatever, whatever. And now I'm down to a couple hours a week. Hmm. Like that sound like, you know, I, I got crazy into it, read all the things. And now I've, now I've let it take a backseat and I'm having fun with other stuff too. Yeah. Like that sounds Expanding like a reasonable definition. Identity. Yeah. I've expanded my identity. You know, I, you um, grew up. Yeah, I, I I like the uh, what was that? I I like the uh, Sasha even put it as maybe this is just growing up because mm-hmm. I was like yeah you you grew up that's what happens when you you know you have your first community and you identify with it and then like the, it becomes all social justice mongering and then you like now I'm a post Steven Universe fan. <laughs> it's just like no, you just figured out that like you know this one community isn't the like be all end all of your life. You're a human with other, you know, you can have hobbies. And and I, I think that's that's common like for people stuff. who get into a lot of things, whether yeah. it's like bowling or you mentioned woodworking. Like, you know, you, you do this and then you're like, oh, this is great. And you're going three, four nights a week. And then, you know, you do that for a couple of years and you're like, okay, I've had about as much fun bowling as I can. I'll still go when my friends ask me, you know, but like. I guess you're just like, not obsessed with it. Like, yeah. But bowling isn't bowling anymore. isn't a way of life and a framework by which one or, ought to orient their life structure and goals right so thing is i was very much into new atheism and like all that has passed now i'm still an atheist i believe in the stuff but like i don't call myself a post new atheist and i don't have beef with the current atheists it's so yeah. i think the post rationalist is some someone who actually has beef with current rationalism or what they think of current rationalism and i'm not sure then yeah then i i i missed the mark when i guessed like i like i said i think i have 
I think your your analogy to post new atheist is perfect. Yeah. You know, like I was also super into that stuff. I don't remember the last time I read an anti-religious post about anything, right? Yeah. Um, maybe I'd still have fun with it, but you know, it's no. Nah, I ha- those are a great few years. I'm really glad I I was you know that I this all happened. Disavowed anything either? No. Uh, from like being part of the skeptic atheist community, uh, I you know it's, it's not just, like I was like, oh, okay, I'm done with that. Now I'm gonna you know go buy a Ouija board and <laughs> look for Bigfoot. Yeah. You, I just, <laughs> like, we, we had our fun. That's with, still part like, of my identity. It's just not like, yeah. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. It's yeah. I, I liked most of this, this post just fine. It was just, cause I felt like it was applicable, you know, keep your eyes open for these, these failure modes. This just felt bizarrely out of place. I'm glad that you pulled it out with all, with the, with the replies here. Cause I didn't know that Yukuski had responded to this. Yeah. I think I, I found parts of this off putting because it, seemed like it's something that that people are already talking about or that's already been talked about that that's kind of been answered the whole like you know worrying that eas are going to burn out like is definitely something people talk about all the time and but i still think it's good to sort of have this collated um yeah article here that that does also answer itself like it says like these are toxic norms they're things that happen in it every community here's what to you know expect uh yeah and like I said, I, I, I'm glad that this exists. I, I would like for this to be like one of, you know, if a, a new person's just coming to Lesser Wrong for the first time, to, for this to be like one of the things that they see mm-hmm. earlier on. Mm-hmm. So they might realize that it's not the best idea to just like, you know, throw out all of your sci-fi fantasy and be like, I'm just a rationalist now. I'm <laughs> Throw out all of my woodworking tools. All I'm going to do is learn math and <laughs> study AI theory. <laughs> Wes had a great comment about that. I uh, do not recognize these rationalists that oh, the that post-rationalists one? talk about, but I always assume that's because I don't live near San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, like, things are weird there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he ends with, I think, a bit of a call to action, which I really like. So I'm basically just going to read. Uh, I mean, this isn't the whole thing. I cut out a few snippets, but this is the, 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 the thing, and it's a little bit longer. So... <clears throat> If you're big in the EA scene, a young, freshly minted EA can't stop talking about how excited they are to do good and how inspired they are by your virtuousness, there's maybe no obvious sign that they've started rejecting every part of themselves that is not congruent to this new identity. So, if you're reading this and you're part of a weird subculture and you notice that your adherence to it makes you dissociate from significant parts of yourself, try consciously allowing those seemingly incongruous parts to coexist. Incongruous parts to coexist. Uh, For the rest of us, look for signs of weariness and self-hatred among your peers. Be curious about whether some of their human requirements are not being met by the local milieu. And if your relationship with them is sufficiently close, help them see that those needs are reasonable and that they can be met in all sorts of ways that have nothing to do with the prevailing local fashion. You have needs and wants that are probably not addressed by the fixations of this group. Don't think this thing has to be all of you. I think that's fantastic advice for any group, and since we are a group, that's good advice for us too. Yeah, see, that's the, the it's this is the thing that I wish that they had at anime cons instead of cosplay is not consent. No, like yeah, because again, this is applicable to like if this is your first or even like I don't know your tenth community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I even I don't know. I think I, I think it's applicable to that. <laughs> it's applicable to everything. I mean, if you're if you're a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And you're like, your job is fixing people and, you know, being aware of all the stuff that like is addressing people's needs and all that. And it's like, yeah, it turns out that like your community of fellow of, of, of peers 
might not be enough to like actually do all that for you too, right? Like mm-hmm. I, this, this, so that I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, meeting, addressing people's needs and wants can be like your explicit group's goal. And you might still like, it would still not be sufficient for every, every participant in that group. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's gold. I like this. This, that part's great. I, it's just funny because like you mentioned with the EA, like that seeming out of date, you know, I, and I, I guess I wanted to clarify because I mentioned the 1975 essay that may or may not have mostly kicked this stuff off, but, uh, you can't come across EA now and not have it be fully caveated with like, don't make this your whole life. Mm. I mean, at least I can't, mm-hmm. you know, you, you find Will McCaskill or, um, you know, who's another one I was just listening to, uh, that's um, a big thing in, in Burning Man circles, too. One of the things they tell people is, yeah, this is awesome. Don't let this become your whole life because yeah. that's an issue. Yeah, Toby Ord is another um, major figure. He, uh, I think, did he start or just help co-found the Giving What You Can pledge? Mm. Like, so this guy is huge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a this is a pledge that people have given, I think, over $100 million and pledged 10 times that. Um, the The goal of that isn't isn't sell your house, you know, Live in a box. Yeah. It's like, no, give give like 10%. What you can. Uh, yeah. And, you know, some people can afford to give more. Some people can afford to give less. That's totally fine. You know, if you can give 50 bucks a month, cool. And if you can't, no one's going to give you shit about it. Mm-hmm. Like, that. that's modern day EA. And I feel like that's been modern day EA for 10 years. Um, but I might be out of the loop. Again, if Sasha's also in California, I'm just going to completely willing to acknowledge that that might be an entirely different planet. Right. And so... Uh, maybe things are just as crazy over there as they ever have been. You know, Will McCaskill and Toby are both, I think, with Oxford. Um, so maybe England is more chill about EA than, uh, then again, Julie Galef's in California and she's, I think she's sane about her effective altruism. There's pockets, uh, there's like some stratification of the rationalist community in the Bay where there's the, you know, big people in the community and they're in group and then there's like the side groups of people because like that if you're if you got into the rationalist community um and you're looking to connect with other rationalists like people go to the bay that's like where that's the meeting spot Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's the mecca um i know like several people who moved from other countries to the bay area and then either stayed there or moved somewhere else but they moved for the rationalist community and found like community networking and jobs through that so us like busting on the bay i think i think that this is yeah like way more of an issue there but like it it has these sort of other like confounding uh i don't know qualities that that make it uniquely i think weird <laughs> and and uniquely awesome i appreciate you, and awesome i appreciate you pointing that out because you're right we've i i think i do very little other than bash on it and it's it's and it is out of love um, I hope I would not, but it, but since I exclusively give it a hard time, it maybe it's that it's easy to lose sight of that. And we don't want um, to start a East Coast West Coast rap battle kind of feud. I mean, I think that could be productive, and we've got David <laughs> on the East Coast, so I think we'd be good. But, I have to say, I love um, the Bay. Like, I make fun of it too. Um, we've got two Davids on the East Coast to help us with that rap battle. <laughs> Sorry, oh, man. Uh, I mean, we'd be the Mountain Coast, so yeah. It's a tri-coastal the fight. Coast. <laughs> but you mentioned, like you said, people came over because they found the they found the community online. They found network. They were and they were networked into awesome careers and uh, you know new lives. That's fantastic. And mm-hmm. they have the reach, which uh, I think still exists, uh, where there's a, like actually a hub. Um, and I, I, you know, thought that that was really cool. And I, yeah. I considered moving to the Bay when I was um, comparing places to like leave New Jersey for. I ended up picking Denver, but 
I, I could see myself being happy there too. One, you're just like, I can, I can barely afford to live there and I can't afford to live there. So Denver it is. <laughs> uh, I think we're done then. Yes. Was yeah. there things that people wanted to add? Almost, sir. You know, who doesn't have toxic social norms? <laughs> <laughs> who? Please oh, do tell. Michael Cahoon. Ta-da. Noise. <laughs> what? Yeah. Wires and short. Oh, because they supported this episode through, via our, our Patreon. That seems like a very positive social norm. That is. We should, we should make should that a norm that of the one. community. Yeah. yeah. That, that support this, this podcast through the Patreon. Um, yeah, no. Thank you, Michael Cahoon. You have uh, helped us bring this to you. Uh, hopefully this helps make the community better. And hopefully it makes you happy as well that you helped us. Because it certainly makes us happy. Yeah, you totally rock. And this is a reminder to everybody in general and especially people who support the podcast you know our our reward tiers are nothing to brag about so don't look at those just if there's anything we can do let us know and if it's within reason we'll make it happen Alrighty, that's it for us we will see everybody here in two weeks and thanks for joining us sounds like fun bye, bye everybody